We don't have much to talk about, just the whole year in review. <laughs> Short show, like usual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I predict it'll be shorter than usual because we're focused, okay. lean, mean. We have an outline. We have yes. a, we have a focus. Uh, but I, I forget. Is this the third year in a row, fourth year in a row? Something like that, yeah. It's a tradition at this point, that's yep. for sure. But let's look back. Apple's 2020 year in review. Um, before we do... Let's talk about some current events just to get them out of the way. We can't do the show without mentioning this Apple car thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe some other stuff. But anyway, uh, what, two days ago? Yesterday, I've, I've seriously, like, one thing I have not anticipated post-election is that the weird sense of time is going to get worse. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> It's it's like it, what was that movie that Christopher Nolan movie where time gets slower and faster at the same time? <laughs> not Inception, the other one, and not Tenet either. Interstellar, Interstellar. Interstellar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, have you seen Tenet? By the way, I tried. I, I have this thing with Christopher Nolan movies where I love like the first eighty percent, and then he just never lands it for me. Mm. So my favorite one is Memento because he does the ending at the beginning. Ah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but what about the Prestige? Everybody loves the Prestige. Yes, yeah, the Prestige is—it's more classical for him, I think. He doesn't try to do the the weird ending thing. Yeah, I enjoyed it. My son and I watched it two nights ago. Uh, it is interesting. It is so interesting. I do this thing with movies, and I've gotten really good at it. And maybe it's just a good luck—I don't know. But I—I really try to stay spoiler free. I've, yeah, I've largely stopped watching trailers. Period, because it's like the movie industry has gotten even for like good movies. They 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 spoil the whole movie in the trailer. It. it, it it's the worst trend. I, I mean, they must have some kind of metrics that show that it gets people to rent the movies or whatever. But trailers spoil everything, in my opinion. So I tried to a huge Zemeckis thing where he said, I, I believe it was Zemeckis, where he believed that he should show everything in the trailer because people like eating McDonald's. They want to know what they're getting. And I just find that totally opposite of what I want in a movie. <laughs> I, I get it. Must, some people must like it. I hate it. I'm like, oh, why would they show that? Oh, terrible. And it's worse for me because like I'm a dummy. So I don't I can watch a trailer and I don't realize things, but I watch it with my like my podcast partner Georgia, and she has one of those Sherlock Holmes mind palace things where she's like, Oh, they're wearing this different outfit in this part of the trailer. So this person lived, this person died, yeah. and they obviously committed this crime, and then she can't watch the movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, anyway. The the neat things, but so I bookmark, I'm like, oh, I run into somebody says, Here's a review of this movie I know I don't want to watch. And so I bookmark it for the future. And then after I watch the movie, I, I may not even remember that I did, but I'll go to Pinboard yeah. and see if I, hey, did I have any bookmarks for Tenet? Oh, here I did. Yeah. And I read a couple of reviews. And it was funny because multiple reviews of Tenet, which originally came out back in August in a yeah. very poorly considered manner in theaters, um, <laughs> All the uh, multiple reviewers said the same thing, which was that this movie can't really be spoiled by talking about the plot. And yeah. I know that sounds crazy, but if you've seen the movie, you'll agree. And like multiple reviewers said that. So I'm not even that worried about spoiling anything here talking about Tenet. It is, and it is sort of a fascinating idea that you can make a plotted movie with a plot and it really can't be spoiled. I'm glad yeah. I watched it. I'm glad Christopher Nolan is out there making movies. Same. It is frustrating. And it is like my analogy to my son is that it's sort of like like a very talented 
movie, extremely talented movie maker who's so good at the art of cinema that he's made a movie about one plus one equals three. And it's yes. very convincing because he's so good at it, but you know it's not right. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> but you can sit there, if you'd sit there and try to tie yourself up and not thinking about the time travel aspect of Tenet, it's never going to work. It's, it's, you're, you're never, you, he, he's so good that you think like, oh, if I think about this hard enough, or maybe if I get out of <laughs> some pen and paper and yeah. start drawing this, uh, it'll add up. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, don't, 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 don't hurt your brain. It Do you just, ever watch Pitch Meeting on Screen Rant? Yes, yes, that's a great. Yeah, the pitch meeting for Tenet was fantastic. I, I like it when he makes fun of movies I don't like, but I like it even more when he makes fun of movies I do like. All right, I got to write this down for the show notes. Pitch Meeting Tenet. I'll bet that he yeah. did a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it's terrific. But I'm still glad I watched it. That's the thing. And I get it why some people, you know, I don't know that I haven't seen anybody say this is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. I haven't seen that. Uh, maybe yeah. there's somebody who thinks it. I've seen some people who I think are sort of, they're a little angry about the pretension of it. And it's like, I'm okay with it because it's the pretension. He's not like submitting it to the Nobel Committee in Physics to try to act like it does add up. He's not saying one plus one actually equals three. He's just made this movie like, what if it one plus one did equal three? And it's kind of a neat movie. So anyway. My I, thing with Nolan is that he violates one of my favorite rules of storytelling, which is if you put a gun on the mantle in act two, you know, you got to shoot somebody right. before act four starts. And it, movies like Inception, they're folding cities in half and someone says, don't do that. You'll attract negative attention. And so I think they're setting this up almost like when they tell Neo, you know, you don't have to worry about dodging bullets in the future. And then you get to the end and they're being attacked and nobody ever folds. And I've been waiting the whole movie for them to start folding cities, uh, which is like the matrix at the end if Neo doesn't and, you know, start catching bullets. I just feel what happened at the end of the movie. Mm. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he does. It's, it's like you didn't give me what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, he's not. Uh, it's hard to say. I'm glad he's out yeah. there, but you know, me too, me too. Uh, unsatisfying. Um, what I did afterwards is uh, after watching as a palate cleanser for Tenet, I watched uh, Ocean's Eleven for like nice. the 30th time. Because it's it's it, in some ways that was the exact palate cleanser I needed. Where it's like, just give me something where there's like some kind of complicated plot, and it might be cockamamie and completely unrealistic, <laughs> but it does add up, right? Yes, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like I watched the McTiernan movies afterwards. I watched uh, Hunt for October and Die Hard and Predator. I think. Mm. Because they're all, those are all very like, this is what's happening. I'm setting this up and I'm delivering it to you. Yeah, McTiernan. Oh, man. I love, you know how I feel about Die Hard. But they're way of, too simple for today. Like, I think today yeah. they confuse sophistication with complexity, which is a right. problem, but they're very simple movies, but they really pay off. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and again, I'm going to spoil it. If you haven't watched Die Hard, then you shouldn't be listening to the podcast. No. <laughs> but, like, uh, one of the great Chekhov's guns of, of movie history, which is the whole, that's the whole principle. Yes. Of if you see the gun on the mantle, it has to go off is the, uh, uh, the movie opens with, uh, with John as a nervous flyer. And the guy says, ah, here's what you do. As soon as you get yeah. out, of, as soon as you get to where you're going, take your shoes off and let your toes feel the carpet. <laughs> yeah. Which doesn't even make sense. I've never heard that. I don't think that would help because it's not like you're on the airplane. It's just an excuse to get him to take his shoes off, but then it pays off. <laughs> it's like, wouldn't it be great if the, if, if the, 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 
the protagonist of the movie had to do the whole thing barefoot. I'd be like, yeah, that And be- even like the watch, they set up the watch, they set up every every payoff they set up carefully during the movie. You know the watch, there's there's a deleted scene for that. Have you ever heard that? I think so, yeah. Yeah, there's so there's a scene that they deleted where the crew first uh the the Gruber crew actually uh first gets in there and they're down in the basement and they all have the same watch and they're synchronizing oh, yeah, yeah. their watches. And they took it out because it was shot in the parking lot underneath. And when they shot it, they hadn't yet figured out that the limo driver was going to stay down there. And so yeah. it was like it introduced a minor continuity error because later on they were like, here, here's what we could do with the limo driver. We could have the limo driver be underneath in the parking lot all along. Yeah. And McTiernan was like, ah, oh, that's brilliant. But then he's like, ah, oh, but what about that scene we shot down there where there is no limo? And they're like, ah, oh. and they're like, well, we could just, it's just synchronizing watches. We could take it out. And then the only thing that doesn't really add up afterwards is the, hey, all these guys have the same watch, but that would have had more of a payoff if you've seen the deleted scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, there we go. There's there's 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going great. <laughs> We're doing fantastic. Apple Car. So out yeah. of nowhere, <laughs> Reuters yesterday. Well, it was before then. So it was a couple days ago that I, it was Economic Daily or something. Uh, one of the Asian newspapers said that the Apple Car was going to come out in 2021. And nobody believed no. it. And then Reuters followed up two days later saying, it's 2024-ish. 20, I didn't see that there was one for 2021. But yeah, I, so things that I know, and I could say we collectively know, we know that Project Titan is still a thing. I don't yeah. even, I, I think that it's actually still called Project Titan. We know some of the people involved. Uh, we know that Apple has a lot of people working on it. Um, we know it has something to do with cars and might yeah. just be autonomous driving systems, period. And maybe they would work with a company, like maybe they would work with BMW or Toyota or Honda or multiple, uh, who knows. Maybe they'll build their own car. Maybe they're just building, you know, smarter Roombas that will autonomously. Well, I think the first version, like I think it's well known now that, that Johnny Ive and the ID department made actual car designs for the very first version under... Um, I'm blanking on his name before before uh, Doug Field. Uh, no, before Doug Field, uh, Apple's vice senior vice president of hardware. That I, for some reason, I'm embarrassingly oh, yeah. the one that took over from Bob Mansfield when Bob first left. Yeah. and I'm embarrassingly blanking on his name wow. at the moment. But he was running it, and they had car designs, and they had a whole team ramp up, and they took over a lot of guys from the iPhone team, and a lot of old iPhone engineers came back to it, and then it moved over to Bob Mansfield, and they sort of started redoing everything, and it sounded more abstract, like it was doing a lot of computer vision and environmental ingestion and AR and AI, and now, just before this report, the the story was that it got moved over to John Gene Andrea's uh, Machine Learning and Artificial Intelligence Organization, and and Mansfield was retired, retired again. (laughs) Well, we don't, you know, I feel like now you're going into things we kind of know, right? Yeah. We kind of know that there were prototypes and how far along they were, and there are rumors that, and... and, Dan Riccio, sorry, Dan Riccio. How much of it was going to be just a car, and how much was going to be self-driving, and what level, and when did they expect to ship, and even if everything had gone 
exceedingly according to plan, which obviously it didn't, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's possible at this point, like that, let's say an initiative that was going strong in 2015 or 2016 and maybe could have shipped a car by today, by the end of 2020, that those cars would drive themselves. That's, it's, yes. you know, on my honest estimation, and I know this is one of those like 640 kilobytes of memory ought to be enough for everybody. I don't think that you and I and most of the people listening to this are ever going to live to see fully self-driving cars on the road. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the definition keeps seems, seems to keep moving for right. what that is anyway. Right. I I mean like, you know, I'm talking full night rider, talk to yes. your talk to your Apple Watch, uh car come get me and the car just drives from wherever it is and to wherever you are and to hop sing laundry mat. Right. And you're right. Home after. Right. I, I mean it's, you know, I don't think we're going to have it. I'd love to see it happen. Uh I don't think it will. But anyway, yeah. it obviously wasn't going to happen by now. Um but anyway, the Reuters report says Apple's full steam ahead that they're hoping to ship cars by 2024 maybe it'll be delayed till 2025 and at this point five four or five years out it's like yeah no shit it might be delayed to 2025 <laughs> like if yeah. you if you have something that is like a thousand person i don't know if there's a thousand people working on project titan but maybe there are i know there's yeah. hundreds you know but if you know you have hundreds of top engineers and ai talent and you know, mechanical engineers making the actual car, working on something that optimistically you think are still is still four years out. Yeah, it might be five years out. <laughs> that that yeah. that line in the report just made me laugh. <laughs> and what's like the 1.0 anyway? Like, what are the features that that, that qualify the minimum delightful feat, like the delightful product that you're going to ship? All right, but man, oh man, did that make uh, people's ears perk up? You know, because it's like yes, Ooh, like and it, Apple stock up, Tesla stock down. I mean, that's how it works. Is that did it? Did that really happen? I didn't even. Yeah, uh, but see, that's just crazy. And it really is. You know, I've been on uh, uh, the the CNBC a couple times. Uh, yeah. the last couple months, uh, they they asked if I would be on today to talk about the car, and I, I had to politely decline because uh, what the hell am I going to say? Uh, I'm like, I love. I, I I wouldn't say I love it, but I mean, I enjoy stretching myself on these yes. CNBC appearances to talk about things Apple has announced and are out and to give my thoughts and help people think about them the way I think they should. I don't mind coming on a podcast and like this and spouting off about this car I know nothing about, but there is no way in hell that I want to go on TV <laughs> and talk yes. about a car that I don't know anything about yeah. because of exactly what you just had. Like, I don't want to, play any role in Apple stock going up or Tesla stock going down or any of that nonsense. I, 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 I want to stay as far away from that as possible. Cause nobody knows. I, I feel like who knows? And, and yeah. why would this report come out now? I have no idea, but it was so strange to me timing wise. Yeah. Especially Reuters, because that's not like, that's not one of the usual rumor or leak channels. That's, yeah. It's not even one of the business publications. Like it wasn't a Bloomberg story. It wasn't a right. Wall Street Journal story. Reuters seems very specific. Yeah. And then you, right before, it's a good thing we delayed uh, recording until now, but it looks like three hours ago, Elon Musk tantalizing tweet says, during the darkest days of the Model 3 program, I reached out to Tim Cook to discuss the possibility of Apple acquiring Tesla for one-tenth of our current value. He refused to take the meeting. 
Yeah. And that's the whole, that's the whole tweet. Well, it was a response. So the, the person who was right. responding to posted some pictures from the Reuters article and the Reuters article was playing up some revolutionary battery technology from Apple right. that I think if anybody took two minutes to research it would show that it wasn't revolutionary battery technology, at least not as described. And that seemed to trigger Elon Musk a little yeah. bit because he's saying we've been using these batteries for years on our mid-range cars. Uh, but it, it's another one of those like, I mean, Twitter is exceedingly good at like a Fermat's last theorem type yeah. tweet. Like, like that tweet <laughs> demands like so much more attention. Really? Like, yeah. did you really yeah. get in contact with Tim Cook? Did he really not take the meeting? And I forget who pointed it out. It might have been uh, Neil Seibart that said that this this would have been last year or or twenty eight twenty nine eighteen or twenty nineteen when you know Project Titan was well underway already and Tesla doesn't seem to have any problems that Apple would have been able to fix. It's one of those uh, somewhere in the 999 knows for every yes, right? Yeah. Is that Apple is not a Berkshire Hathaway style conglomerate that just owns like it, it, in some sense you can say well clearly this was a mistake if it's all true, right? And again, that's a big if yeah. with Elon Musk as the let's say unreliable narrator not that he's a liar just that you can't necessarily take it as there's there's a lot of ways to be an unreliable narrator that don't involve yes. lying you right? don't know what his agenda is with a tweet right and how sharp his memory is and you yeah. know <laughs> and it's also it's his it's his opinion of what happened but if you just took that as the if you said okay if you looked into it and it was all verifiably true you could say well then that's clearly a mistake apple should have acquired Tesla for one tenth the price and held it until now, and now they could, if they wanted to, spin it off and make you know ten yeah. ten times. But that's, that's the GM. <laughs> but that's not Apple's business, right? And yeah. and you know, it, it, you know, and it, there was you know a lot of people threw that out as a like what was I guess it was twenty thirteen was sort of the um, the low point of the post Steve Jobs. Hey, this is. Tim Cook isn't cutting it. They need a product yeah. person. They should acquire Tesla and let Elon Musk take over the company. Yeah. You know, and in very broad strokes, you can see the thinking. You know that Elon Musk and Steve Jobs are similar. You know, they're they're founder slash visionary yeah. people, and you could say, well, Apple needs that sort of person, but it's very different when you're not the founder of the company, right? Yes. You know, like you, you know, Thomas Edison was one of those people. I don't know that if you could reanimate Thomas Edison from the grave, that he would be a great CEO of Apple. Right. And also Steve jobs, you know, he was maniacally focused where Elon Musk has, a, Elon Musk is focused on Mars, but that constitutes 10 different companies for him. Right. Elon, my point with these founders, these unique visionaries is that they all are the, the inherently the, the chiefs of the companies they were meant to be the chiefs of because yes. that's why they created them, right? Yes, like and Jeff, the culture around them. Right, Jeff Bezos is obviously tremendously successful and Amazon is, it, 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 uh, for all of it, the things you can complain about, you know, you, there's certainly many things you can take issue with. Or even Zuckerberg, right? We're a company that we could all agree there are a lot of things we can complain yes. about with Facebook, Neither one of them would be 
good at all as being the CEO of Apple, and I don't think, or, or of the other company, right? You wouldn't well, want both to of them have tried to make phones with disastrous results over the years, right? Like you know, I don't think any of these CEOs would be good at taking over the other's company, except yeah. maybe for Cook, who is not a founder, right? Yeah. Like Cook would be the one who you could say, well, if he wanted to be the CEO of Amazon, he'd probably be a lot better at being the CEO of Amazon than Bezos would be as the CEO of Apple. But they're just, you know, the companies are formed in the creator's image. And Elon Musk is the CEO of the companies he was meant to be in charge of. You know, SpaceX is very Elon Musky. Yeah. And the Boring Company and Tesla and just Starlink is just so many. But they all have that uniform goal. And also, whenever I see this, I also wonder what it would have been been like if Steve Jobs had a Twitter account. (laughs) I I don't think he ever would have been in. I don't know. It's an interest. It is an interesting. Like, could he have gone? sort of like midnight emailing Steve Jobs at a Twitter account? All right. I don't know. I mean, I mean, and Twitter was out by you know in two thousand six, two thousand seven. Yeah. It just wasn't as much of a thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't see him ever getting into tweeting. Yeah. I would see it more Luckily. like sort of like the way Schiller and Cook tweet. You know, and it's like when there's something new, there's a, a tweet from the account, and he might be interested enough to single, you know, be the one who actually writes the tweet. But it's not like I, I wouldn't be like Elon Musk making trouble in tweets. Because back when I was on the other side of the fence, like when I worked in marketing and we hired PR people, the one of our most stressful periods was whenever a CEO got on a open mic. That was just the potential for disaster. And I remember like the. Eric Schmidt would do that, and the C, the, the co CEOs of Rim would do that, and you would just see the the the, the, the ghosting of the PR people as they would try to stop it every time, and it would go terribly every time. And I don't know what happens at like Tesla or Facebook when they let you know Elon or Mark on an open mic, but uh, Apple's got a much better apparatus for that. Yeah, they're much more disciplined. That's very yes. true. Uh, here, let me take a break before we go on with the urine review and thank. Our first sponsor. Let me think. Oh, what a great company. I love this app. Things. T-H-I-N-G-S. Things. The to-do task manager app that's been around now. It's one of those apps that is like, I still think of it as a new app and it shows how old I'm getting maybe because it's not. (laughs) It's been around for a while. Great, great app for all of Apple's platforms. The Mac for iOS, the phone and iPad. The idea behind Things. When you want to achieve a goal, you got to have a plan, and it is a great way to organize it. The idea is very simple. They have projects. You create projects for your goals. You add steps in a project to help you reach a goal, and you can schedule those tasks for when you want to work on them or when you need to work on them. And then every morning when you wake up, Things already has a list of to-dos for the day. You can just look right at today. It tells you, based on everything you've already put into things, what you need to do today. Uh, You can just spend a few minutes reviewing that list. You can drag those to-dos in the order you want to do them, which to me is like, oh, that is like the one thing I need in any to-do type organization app that I want to even try to use. If I can't like just drag them to reorder them, I'm already like, ah, I'm out. Cause that's how I think. Uh, things lets you do that. And then you just get on with your day and it doesn't matter what device you're on. Everything syncs through the cloud. So whether you are on your Mac, whether you're on your phone, you're on an iPad, it's all there. And things is beautiful 
and they have always integrated with the system in a very cohesive way. So like when stuff like notification center and uh, uh, widgets and stuff like that, it's like, they're always right on top of it as, as dedicated focused, like the Apple platform isn't just one of the targets for the thing system. They are Apple developers, true and true. That's the only place where things exist. And so they embrace all that stuff uh, when it's new. It is just a great app. So what do you do to get things to try it? Download a free trial for your Mac, fully native on the Apple M1 Macs, of course, because like I said, they stay up to date with all of the latest Apple technology at culturedcode.com slash things. Just download it to your Mac, totally free to try, great place to start, or go to the App Store and just search for things. Could not be easier. T-H-I-N-G-S on the App Store. And you will find things. There you go. My thanks to Cultured Code for sponsoring the show to promote things. They're a terrific app. Uh, all right. Before, before we go to the year in review, the other thing we should probably talk about uh, over the last week is the uh, is Chrome bad? Yeah. <laughs> Our friend, the great Lauren Brichter. Uh, yep. Surfaced and now Lauren Brichter. Everybody has to introduce him as you know, creator of Tweety, uh, Letterpress, the great app. The, he wrote the GL stack for the original iPhone, as far as I can recall. Yeah, the literal, uh, truly invented pull to refresh as a yeah. mechanism, which is one of those things now that is so part of the oxygen of touch based systems that it's hard to believe it had to be invented and it wasn't there from the beginning. He wrote UI Kit for the Mac before Apple did, and I believe he's probably written UI Kit for OpenGL. Sorry for WebGL already. Knowing him, well, he wrote a website called ChromeIsBad.com, and it got a lot of attention. And it was funny because I wouldn't think that Lauren's accomplishments are from that long ago that people wouldn't remember. But like when it hit Hacker News, people were like, "Who is this guy?" Yeah, <laughs> it's like when Tweety came out, and people were like, "Who who could write an app like this? Who is this right. person?" Uh, but the gist of it was that Lauren had seen a couple of Macs, like his wife's MacBook Pro and some other Mac in their household that had been having very strange performance problems where everything was slow, scrolling was slow, typing was slow, and nothing out of the ordinary was listed as consuming resources in Activity Monitor. It's just that like one of the ways it would manifest was that uh, the Windows server, which is yeah. part of the system would be taking up excessive CPU. But there wasn't like some app that you could say, oh, and, you know, it's this part of Chrome. Because, you know, long story short, it, it he deleted Chrome, <laughs> deleting yeah. all traces of Chrome, restarted, and this fixed both of his machines. He made this website, said, I don't know what it's doing. Something that Chrome installs in the background uh, is doing something. I don't know what it is. Um, but it doesn't show up in Activity Monitor. And when you, if you do these steps to delete all the traces of Chrome and use a different browser, uh, the problems go away. Yeah. And an awful lot of people are like, holy crap, this fixed my Mac. Yes. Including yeah. you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Me, Ben Thompson, uh, your partner right? on Dithering. Yeah. Uh, several people who are super smart. And the thing was that Lauren suggested, uh, Google has this thing called Keystone, which is their updater that originally came out with Google Earth. And like 11 years ago, Wired saw it and called it evil. 
and they just they, they won't use the system updater. They won't use Sparkle. They just have to do their own thing because they want to continuously update Chrome in the background. And Lauren's theory was that Keystone would try to start up, have a problem. The, the process would never spawn an activity monitor, but it would just churn Windows Server. It, it would just thrash it until everything else stopped. And then if you'd go in and not just delete Chrome, but go through all your, your library files and delete anything with Keystone in it, this would stop happening. Um, and to their credit, the Chrome team and the Chromium team jumped on this immediately. They said they'd never heard of it, but they're going to look in, into it and they have a bug filed now and they're asking people for, for help and for documentation and for use, like for test cases and all that stuff. But it fixed my problem. I work on embargoes the same way you do and I would have this problem. Windows Server would ramp up and I wouldn't be able to get Final Cut to let me finish editing my videos and it was incredibly stressful. I wanted to throw my computer and I, I have not had that problem since. Even uploading my videos, like I know this is a complete post hoc ergo propter hoc fallacy, but I used to have like failures three or four times after uploading videos and I haven't had a single one <laughs> yet. So it's just, it really is night and day. I don't want to go full John Syracuse rant here, um, he, he, but he did it so beautifully on ATP recently, but it's yeah. like this whole thing, but yet it's so unsatisfying because we can't, we don't know, we don't have a, oh, here's what's going on, right? Yeah. And we should. I, I'm, I'm kind of shocked and I, I haven't really written about it on Daring Fireball because my first thought when the, when the thing broke was, well, this isn't right. And like, yes. Lauren has since adjusted the text of the Chrome is Bad webpage to. He was super angry when he wrote it. He was. And he had a thing <laughs> that alleged that the, Keystone was hiding itself from Activity yeah. Monitor, which clearly they called it malware. <laughs> well, there it's a little bit more of a judgment call, but the hiding yes. <laughs> itself from Activity Monitor is a serious allegation because it would require deliberate malfeasance on the Chrome team's part to hide it, and it w- it implicitly alleges that there's a gaping security hole in in Mac OS that allows for a background utility to hide itself. Yeah. Right. Well, Which I understand because it would never surf like it was thrashing right. Windows Server so badly it right. never showed up. Yeah. If that wasn't a problem, it would have shown up and he would have seen it, but he never saw it because of the problem. Yeah, I don't think he lied and I don't think he it, it, maybe it was a little sloppy. Um, yes. But he didn't lie. It's that he was trying to what he was trying to say is what we've just said on this show, me and you, is that it's not that it hit itself in that malware sense. It's it it doesn't show up in Activity Monitor. So yeah. hide was the wrong verb to be sure. But what's weird about this is that we clearly something is going on. It, it, there is some something is going on here. There's way too many people who have just erased all traces of Chrome and had very similar problems vanish. Yes. You know, like Ben Thompson, it, it, really, he spent months where he was dying because he just was like, I should just, he, he really would have bought a new computer, but didn't only because he knew the M1 Max were coming out. And so it yeah. wasn't a good time to buy a computer and he chalked it up to Catalina. But here we are weeks later and still nobody has put a finger on what it is. And it's, yeah. but it seems like too many people have had, uh, it's so unsatisfying. And I'm very surprised with the number of uh, 
it seems prevalent. And clearly this is a thing that, that didn't affect everybody. Right. And I think that's, you know, that should go without saying if, if every single person with Chrome on their Mac had this problem, the the Chrome team itself would have it and they'd fix it. Yes. Well, that's the thing about like modern software is so complicated and depends so much on initial conditions, settings, other programs you have installed. Like this could be a pure Chromium issue, Chrome issue, Keystone issue. It could involve certain versions of macOS, certain other utilities or systems that you have, or or, sorry, or tasks that you have running. It could be a big complicated mess and just removing Chrome removes a little one part of that enough that everything starts moving again. And that's really hard to fix. But to Lauren's one of Lauren's original points is that Chrome doesn't have to update this way. Google chooses to have it update this way, but they could be using a standard updater that allows you to consent to updates because this doesn't even ask your permission to update Chrome. It just does it in the background, which is a service to some people, but is anathema to other people. That to me is my, that's the, the me, my as yet unwritten take on Daring Fireball is that the problem here isn't well, I would love to know what the actual technical problem is, yeah. and, and hopefully there is one, and we'll get to the bottom of it. Um, well, I, there obviously is a problem, and whether it's actually Chrome's fault or whether it could be that Chrome is only doing things that they technically shouldn't cause this problem, and the bug is in Windows Server itself yeah. getting tickled in a certain way that triggers this bug – it could be that the bug is Apple's and it is in yep. Windows Server and hopefully we'll figure out what that is. Somebody's got to figure it out. This is maddening. Even though I'm yes. personally not affected by it, I'm like, huh, I've got Chrome, you know, and I'm sure most yeah. people have Chrome haven't seen it. And I want to use Chrome. To be clear, there's so many websites that work best with Chrome. I would, it would be better for me if I could use it. But it, this wouldn't be an issue if there is fault, there's, I, there is with certainty fault on Chrome's part. And that's that their, their software update system is, in my opinion, by design disrespectful. It, it, it's not the way things work on the Mac. Even Apple's own software, like, and as much as people want to, some people want to say that Apple is sort of like authoritarian, that they, yeah. that they, they dictate to people, you know, that they, people are resistant to get into the Apple ecosystem because Apple tells you how to do everything and they want you to update everything and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Apple is actually extremely respectful of your computer being yours and almost nothing that they do is mandatory i mean there's there might be some I, very rarely invoked i mean like maybe once ever security things that they yeah. they can do remotely you know like if they detect malware they can push certain things um to stop a malware in fact infection from spreading further but they almost never do that like uh, os updates you have control over them and they do steer you when you set up a new device through a process that encourages you to turn on automatic updates and they do have automatic updates for ios and for watch os and even mac os that if you do allow it to happen and they do encourage you to turn it on tries to do things in an intelligent way where like your phone will say, okay, iOS 14.1 is out and Apple has pushed it and you've got automatic updates on. It'll download it while it's on Wi-Fi during the day and will install itself and restart overnight at like four in the morning 
so that you're never interrupted and you wake up and your phone will say you've you know you're now running iOS 14 welcome to iOS 14 but it's also very easy you don't have to like dig into the command line and type a default thing to turn it off like it's you know it's a nice friendlier big blue button that says turn allow auto updates and it's yeah. sort of a less friendly not now <laughs> underneath to say not now I'll do it manually but it's not hidden right well, it, even on my mac it's been trying to install big sur for a month and i just don't let it like it, it it needs me to push certain buttons to do the auto update it's downloaded it it's already it keeps popping up saying hey you have an update i ignore it and i'm fine i'm not upgrading this machine it's this in, and in fact my hey this is an older machine i should be i'm going to wait a couple of months before i update it if ever turns out that these old uh 2014 macbook pros actually had a problem with big sur where it was bricking them like it wasn't yeah. even like it was like you have to like take it in to get service to get out of it, and it's like well, that's why I don't update automatically. Um, so the, the only hitch is I do have a red I have a red badge for software updates. Yes, uh, that's it. But otherwise, I don't have to update it. You know, and most Mac apps don't update automatically in the background when the app's not running. The app is running when you launch it and you double click it. And that's when most third party apps that you don't get through the app store update. And they, you know, a lot of third party Mac apps use the same framework called Sparkle. Yes. Everybody listening to this podcast has almost certainly seen a Sparkle app. It's, you know, and it, it just, there's an update available. Do you want to download it now? You download it now. And then, it downloads and you click install and then the app quits and when it launches itself again and you've got the new version and it's all under your control. And if you don't want it, you could not do it and you probably have a preference to say, don't even check. Yep. And if you do use the app store, you can turn off auto updates in the app store too and install those manually, which is what I do because I don't want my apps to install. I, I'm, I'm volunteering to give myself the chore of purposefully yes. looking uh, and that is the Macintosh way, and that has is inherited by iOS. It's also the iOS way. It should be, and I mean this in a, in a sort of ethical sense. It should be up to the user whether whether and when they're updating, and what the app is doing in the background. Like the flip side of it too is you should be in charge. You should be in control of when your apps update if you want to. And on the flip side is when you drag, when you're like, I don't want this app anymore, and you drag it to the trash on the Mac or delete it from your home screen on iOS, you should know that there's nothing left behind that is doing anything. Like, are there preference files and stuff like that? Well, in some ways, that's actually a feature that those get left behind. So if you reinstall it, your data is still there. But in terms of the actual software that runs... It shouldn't be there. It there should be nothing left behind. And the way that Chrome is designed, where it installs like little invisible background agents outside your applications folder and sets launch daemons so that when you restart it runs. You can delete Chrome.app, but when you restart your computer, it's still running the software updater in background once every three thousand seconds or something like that. Yeah, that to me is a is is a wrong it's it's wrong design, 
and it's it's disrespectful and presumptuous. It is them saying it's it's the Chrome team saying we know better than you how you know how your Chrome should update. You're better off. We know we know you're better off always having your Chrome up to date, and so we're going to install this for you and have it happen automatically. And if they didn't have that design, no one would be throwing shade at them for this uh, Chrome is bad yeah. scandal. And I know some people immediately will say, well, Apple doesn't give you an on-off switch on your you know, AirPods Max, so Apple's doing the same thing. And I think the difference is like just the intention. Like Apple knows that for a lot of people, they'll forget, these are a wireless product, and if you forget to turn them off, you'll drain your battery. It's a bad experience. So they'd rather just use the accelerometer to power them down for you. Uh, and then when you put them back on, they just work. So to me, it, it's not the system per se, it's the intention uh, and the consideration behind it that matters. Yeah. So that's my take, is that they should not have this design for software update on the Mac. It, it, and I don't think they're going to reconsider, but it, it's never made me comfortable. Um, I don't like it. And I also think that they should document it if they're going to go this route. They, they, they've decided purposefully, it's not like Google is some small, tiny upstart that doesn't have the resources to document how it works. Um, yeah. It's open source on Windows, right? Like it's fully transparent on Windows, but not on Mac. Right. And there are other apps. And I, let me just say this before I forget, because I, I want to mention it. So just to name one friend of the show, our, our good friends at Rogue Amoeba, yeah. who make audio software for the Mac, everything from Audio Hijack to Piezo to SoundSource. Uh, yeah, yeah. Their software, which does very complex at you know at the high end, like with Audio Hijack, uh, needs stuff that runs outside. At, it's not; it can't just be done as a simple app to do the sort of audio processing where you're grabbing audio from another application and filtering it into this. Like the whole point of the app is that they're doing things that are outside the capabilities of a simple app that you double click. And so they they have very copious instructions and installers to help you do this as best they can to make it as friction-free as possible. And they are so considerate, their installers. I was going to bring them up because they are just above and beyond. They've thought through every sort of convenience that you could imagine for those installers. Right. So they need to have an installer, and they need to be running something in addition to a double-clickable app. And they explain it all. They make it as easy as possible. They tell you what they're doing. They tell you what they've done. They tell you what needs to be updated, when it needs to be updated. And if you ever decide, I'm out, I don't want this anymore, they make it completely easy to uninstall all of it. And then you've, it's like they were never even there. Um, yeah. And Chrome doesn't need to be running in the background like that. It doesn't need to have launch agents, and they don't document it, and they don't make it easy to uninstall it. Yeah. Very disrespectful. Trifecta. Yeah. Um, anyway, year in review. Here we go. Yeah. Well. What a year. <laughs> I was looking back, so I made an outline. And the funny part is, the pre-pandemic part of 2020, Apple did nothing. Yeah. I was like, so. I mean, they did stuff, but there was no like consumer right. stuff. Uh, so yeah, I do see you. What what did happen in that? So January till the beginning of March. Uh, I I forgot about Richard Plepler coming from HBO. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, I guess that's interesting. And it does sort of tie in to like, I know Ben and I have talked about this on dithering quite a bit. Uh, and, and MG Siegler on my, one of my highlights of the year on this podcast was MG's idea that Apple TV plus is the new HBO, which is like, Oh, come on. Yeah. That's too. And it's like, wait, maybe <laughs> like it actually kind of is like, I'm a fan of Apple TV Plus, but even for me, that was a bit too far. And then I was like, no, now that I think about it, I think maybe. And because it, it's both the fact that Apple TV Plus is a little more careful and it's like, we're not going to have the most shows, but we're going to try for the best shows. And combined with Time Warner doing everything in their power to dilute the HBO brand. So maybe. Christina Warren, uh, We've been on the show before. It's brilliant. Uh, also said it's it's like NBC at its heights, and you know they have the comedies, but they also have the dramas, and they have the edgier stuff like LA Law. Yeah. You know, it's it's almost like a classic TV channel programming. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I don't know, um, but really, there wasn't much going on. Nothing consumer facing. Uh, and then I I I recall, I forget if it was in March or if it was the end of February, but I had Federico Vitici on the show. And it was when Italy, you know, was like the yeah. like the hot spot in outside China in the world, and I I don't regret it. It's not like I'm embarrassed by my take, but it was very decidedly. Hey, how weird is it that Italy got hit hard by this bug like this? Good luck. I hope everything works out for everybody. Um, yeah. But I it was definitely an, an assumption that did not hold up very well. That. Italy was an outlier <laughs> and yeah. uh, did not take long for that to, to, to be shown as a pretty bad assumption. Uh, yeah. Like you've noted here that in that time period, Apple's ended trips to China and started closing stores. I forget when, when did they start closing stores because of COVID? I think it was starting in February and then moving into March. And uh, I know Michael Stiebler on nine to five Mac has been, really good at pointing this out, but Apple has one of the best COVID response teams, I think, anywhere. You can almost always see by the Apple Store closings what the actual cities should be doing yeah. and aren't doing, because they open up and close down on really good data with really good timing. And I think we should all just be following his tracker, because it would give us much better information than any government has been giving us. Yeah, you know, and I think it's as simple as that they are striking the very correct balance between, yes, we would like to be open because we would like to be selling stuff and we would like for our employees to be, you know, doing their thing. And oh, we I want see, our customers, yeah. you know, everybody's happy when we're selling stuff, if it's safe, but if it's not safe, we don't want anybody being, uh, you know, ha having their, their, doing anything risky that they shouldn't do. You yeah. know, what, what is the correct balance between wanting to be open, but also wanting to do the right thing? And I think Apple has sort of struck it. I think Josh Centers at Tidbits has called it, he, he's, he's talked about that too, that it's sort of like the Apple yeah. store index that, you know, where Apple stores are open is a really good indication of where things are spiraling out of control. Yes. Um, yeah. In hindsight for the year, like ways that this year went off the rails, like, it didn't take too long, you know, into the end of April where before it started sinking in that this might be the whole year. I mean, yeah, it, but I didn't anticipate 
even if that was the case, if this whole thing had gone like it did really badly, that there would be so much back and forth, right? Like, and if we just yes. take Apple stores as the index, that they'd be opening and then closing and then opening and closing and yeah. waves spreading around the country and around the world and North America. Um, it, it just didn't anticipate, I, I really just did not anticipate how it would ebb and flow. Yeah, well, I think the culture clash with a lot of Western countries was not anticipated. Like, just the way that we would handle it. I think a lot of people just assumed that we would be the best in the world at handling everything, and it would not be a problem, and we would be helping, you know, those poor other countries get through their troubles, and it just turned out completely opposite. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really strange, but it was... Like, we were anticipating a March Apple event. Oh, like yeah. I think all of us thought that there would be, a, a like, a, as usual, a March Apple event. We'd all go to... Cupertino or wherever they chose to hold it, and we would see a bunch of products and announcements, and it would be just business as usual for the yeah. Year. And well, and the other thing too, and that that clearly affected Apple. I mean, they you know they've said this. We don't have to be insiders to know it. They they they've talked about it on the, you know publicly, but the way that it hit China, uh, yeah. sees it it literally like like an engine seasoning up. It just totally shut down the entire supply chain. I mean, like, just shut it down. And also their ability to go there, because usually they, they are doing pre-production. They work well ahead of a lot of products, and they're doing pre-production, and that involves a ton of Apple people going to China, being there on the floor, checking prototypes, doing feedback, monitoring quality. Doing It's in a, a very, well, we talked about this before too, right? Like Apple books out entire airline right. flights routinely. They're the biggest customers, and that all just stopped. Right, right. like however many uh, employees in normal times are, shuttling back and forth between SFO and China it's you know yeah. what it, it was uh that they standing order of 50 business class seats a day or something like that yeah it was some ridiculous number that you doubled it and it was still like a ridiculous right number. and like and it was like on united or something i think it was united but yes. um and then somebody yeah someone photographed it with accident uh, one point and posted it in the Apple had to take right. it down. Well, it was like no, it was yeah, it was like a United internal sales presentation. Yes, uh, some poor, some poor soul at United didn't didn't yes. realize that Apple considered that confidential. Um, yeah, but like somebody pointed out to me, they're like, in addition to like when I expressed my okay, I guess I believe it, but if you do the math, that's just an enormous number of seats in the plane. And yes, they don't necessarily aren't doing it every day. And if they have all fifty, and they're like, "Well, we only have ten people going to China today," they they I guess release those seats, and you know, other uh, United customers can maybe you get you're you're very lucky, you get a free upgrade from coach to yeah. to business class, you know, for a, a Trans Pacific flight. What I mean, what a delight that would be. But so it doesn't mean they have 50 people doing it every day, but they're certainly close enough that they keep the standing order. But the thing that was the real eye opener for me was that somebody pointed out, like, that's just united. Like, you know, yes. the people who, you know, some people prefer it because they want to get the points, but other people who, you know, prefer comfort fly other airlines. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the Asian airlines, uh, and you get a better, you get a better experience. And like, they're, and, you know, and they have the discretion not to have leaked. How many seats Apple has on those yes. points? Well, anyway, all those flights weren't even taking off, let alone being filled with Apple employees. Um, yeah, and in hindsight, so uh, again, ta- speaking now, me and you speaking in December, 
Apple made it work. I mean, this is has been I don't know what if anything in theory Apple wanted to ship in 2020 and didn't. But, you know, like let's say like this the tiles project, right? Like I don't know, there's a couple of yeah. what else is rumored the tiles thing and the headphones. I mean, the Air, the AirPods Max were one of those things we didn't think that they were going to ship and they, they still, still got, got them out. out. Um <laughs> Yeah. Damn if they didn't make it work. I mean, it's really yeah really quite remarkable um but they updated almost yeah. everything what do you think the march event would have been so what they did is they had a remote press briefing on march 17th and i don't think i'm i'm 99 sure i just looked at my notes before the show that this this wasn't something it was only press only who got to watch it it wasn't streamed. yes um yeah they hadn't got that. I think it would have been almost identical to the 2016 March event where they announced the iPhone SE and back then the 9.7 inch iPad Pro, right. and it would have just been the second iPhone SE and the new uh, A12Z iPad yeah. Pro. Yeah. So what they did announce on March 17th was updated MacBook Airs, where the real they, yeah. there was some kind of Intel 10th generation, blah blah blah, and it was like Ice Lake, yeah. But it was really it gets the good keyboard. That had just come out a year yeah. ago, as you and I speak right now, a year ago in the 16-inch MacBook Pro. Yes. And it was like in March, they were like, okay, you know that the good keyboard? Now it's in the MacBook Air. And and they could yeah. have stopped right there. The iPad Pros got updated, which in one of the weirdest updates for the iPad ever, right? Because it was like, they've never done this before. Instead of, it, they just, they didn't, Go to it. They they skipped the whole A13 generation and went from yeah. the A12X to the A12Z, and the A12Z really was just enabling the the eighth GPU core, right? Yeah, that, it was that, higher bin because their their yields were good enough that they right. didn't have to worry about you right. know the, the expense of those chips. Uh, but it also, I, I I wonder if they were just so busy with M1 and the A14 that they didn't have time to make the A13X, and they still wanted to get LiDAR out on the market right. as early as possible. I guess that's the thinking. If I had to guess as as what my theory is, is that, yeah, that they the A12Z or X was so good that we, you know, they could easily not ship an A13X and iPads, iPad Pros are, nobody's going to say, oh, this is starting to feel pokey. Yes. Uh, it was a simple, the, the, the move from the X to the Z going from seven cores, where if you take out your microscope and look, there's eight cores, but only seven were enabled, was clearly a binning issue, right? Yes. Where they just got better at making them and like, yeah, we can just guarantee all eight of them were, are good to go. Yep. And the real big hardware change was going from a tiny little, like, old, just single lens camera to a bigger square okay now it's a whole camera system yeah. with lidar um which again uh, why though like that's my that's my my takeaway now low these 10 months later is why 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 care about getting lidar out for the ipad pro like i don't i still don't see what the advantage what what, what the point of that was I just think it's them, you know, because it was going to come to the iPhone. And they still, you and I have heard rumors for years about a, a much better camera app that tied into the whole AR system. And it still hasn't come out. And that was right. the rumor, 
you know, because the, the, the iPad Pro was so strange for other reasons. Like the, the camera team didn't enable portrait mode, even though it has LiDAR. So if you hit the portrait mode button and you're using the rear cameras, it actually flips around and switches to the true depth camera right. front facing, which is a really weird experience. It just felt like they wanted to get this iPad out. They didn't have time to do everything. So they just shipped it, which is really super odd. But my only guess is that they need to get this technology out so that we're all, you know, developers especially, but we're all using this stuff far enough advanced that they can get it into the iPhone and then into whatever wearable products they're thinking about for next year. I guess it's just hard for me to see it. And it's like maybe there's a market in AR software for iOS and for the phone that I'm just not seeing. Like I know that you can get like the IKEA app and, you know, drop a, a Kerfluggen chair in the middle of your living room and, and see what it looks like. And I've played with that and it's, there's some cool stuff, but maybe people are using that more than I think. Like I've, I don't think so. Like I don't think they needed to ship this. Like, like honestly, I don't think we would have right. noticed if they hadn't updated the iPad Pro because right. the Magic Keyboard, which was the biggest deal, and the cursor support worked with the A12X version right. as well. Right. It, to me, the more interesting use of lidar as we know it now in these devices is just as an extra aid for the regular camera system. Yes. Which is what the iPhone 12 Pro and Pro Max do yes is that they will, and the ipad does not do right that they'll use lidar in low light situations to help with autofocus yeah and they only need it in low light because when it's not low light the regular camera lens needs no help it 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 autofocuses so fast that it, the lidar is too crude to help it's like yeah yeah just pitch in when it's dark and you know yeah. that's good enough um but the iPad doesn't do that. And I did ask, I remember, I, I you know, not that I'm, you know, it was all that, <laughs> it, well, not that it wasn't an obvious question, but I, in an off the, you know, talking with people at Apple off the record being briefed on the iPad, I asked about, well, does, does this LiDAR sensor in the iPad Pro help with autofocus, you know, with the regular camera? And the answer was, well, that's an interesting idea, but no. Yeah. <laughs> and that and I assumed that meant it was coming this fall, but right. it didn't come this fall either. Right. That's an interesting idea is always it, it, that's like the best you ever get from them. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It usually yeah. means it usually means mm, we I'd like to say something but I can't. And it I but guess I, it's not coming to these iPad Pros, you know, it's Which just, I don't get because if they've built it now for the iPhone and they're still like like you know iPad OS and iOS are still synonymous systems you know i i'm i was surprised they didn't update the camera app in io in ipad os 14 to yeah. just do all this or at least like in 14.1 or 14.2 yeah. because there's always like the you know we're, we're starting to see a pattern now where the 14 or whatever the new integer is 0.0 is very specifically cut off in august for the phones yeah for the new phones and the it's the point one update that is really the point oh, you know, it's yeah. or what we used to think of as a point oh. It's you know, like the, the point oh's are somewhere between beta and real. And in fact, yeah. going back to our Chrome talk a couple minutes ago, Apple doesn't even push the fourteen point or thirteen point to people as like an automatic update. Like yeah. there's this weird internal criterion that they 
don't want to talk about as to when they decide to push the okay yeah here's your red badge for you know for upgrade get the new version of the OS and the the point O's usually aren't it I just assume it's the emoji update. That's the thing everyone cares about. <laughs> yeah, you know that that's true. That that's <laughs> yes. When they really want you to update, when they're like, "Yeah, this is rock solid. This is actually pushing this update out is going to cut down on our tech support and genius bar yep. appointments, not increase them." That's when they're like, "And here's a bunch of new emoji. <laughs> here's a new emoji." Yeah. So I don't, wasn't much else from that though. I don't really have much to say. I have nothing to say about the MacBook Air that the Intel one, other than that the keyboard was better. You know, yes. It I, I can say Chipset one was trash, but the keyboard was better. Yeah. One year later, the 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 return of scissor key switches in the keyboards has to be considered a triumph. We now no longer talk about yeah. uh, bad MacBook keyboards, except as a very faint memory of. It's a faint and painful memory. Right. Uh, April 15th, the iPhone SE 2 came out, second generation. I can only presume that if that the plan was to announce that all at one March event, that it would have been the iPhone SE, the tweaked iPads, Air, uh, iPad Pros, and the MacBook. um, uh, And it just wasn't because of COVID. That's what I think. And the odd thing to me is that they had really well-produced videos for the iPad Pro. They had Craig Federighi showing off the keyboard and the cursor, and they had a video with developers showing off different parts of AR, and there was nothing for the iPhone SE. Like, no. I, as far as I can tell, no Apple presentation at all. Yeah. Well, I guess we should talk about that. I guess that the bigger part of the March announcement wasn't really the iPad Pros, but the Magic Keyboard. And yeah. the Magic Keyboard, what makes it magic it is a nice device. I'm still, I really like it. It's one of my, too. it would be one of my top picks of the year as an Apple product, but it was the, it's not just the, the keyboard itself. It's the iPad OS update that enabled a real mouse cursor system, system wide, which, you know, was like 13.3 or something like that. Like, yeah, totally. They didn't even wait right. for 14.0. Right. They just released it and it, just worked and it you know i apps had to be updated to really support it yeah but they even with doing nothing it was still pretty usable like it just clicks equals a touch and you know all of a sudden you and i <laughs> we could just interrupt people right here <laughs> tell people we can you can listen to me and renee argue about yes touchscreen max and uh if iPads can add mouse support without messing things up, why can't Macs add touch screens the same way? You, we you need a whole thirty eight minutes of us talking about it, and you yes. can go see it on Renee's YouTube channel because there it is. <laughs> That's terrific. But the thing that I thought was super fun about this was when because the it leaked, people found it in the firmware, and everyone yeah. just assumed it was such a big change. It would have to be iOS fourteen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the rumors just all jumped to the conclusion that it was iOS 14. And they were just like, nope, right here in the middle of March. Yes. <laughs> With a new keyboard. <laughs> they just right. shipped it. Right. And it's great. It really is. I, I, I use my iPad so much more than I ever did before. Yeah. It is my kitchen laptop. I go days at a time without taking my iPad off the Magic Keyboard. It was neat because I had the trackpad and external keyboard support 
I mean, the external keyboard worked before, but without a trackpad, it was always, it, it's just amazing how much more useful it is. Like when your hands are on the keyboard to have a trackpad right there and not have to reach yep. and touch the screen. Um, but the magic keyboard is so good at it. Like, and in a way where they didn't, they didn't cripple the, the, the support for just using an external trackpad or Bluetooth yes. keyboard to, get you like the only good way to use it is to buy this $170 magic keyboard or whatever. How, how much is a magic keyboard? I think it's, I just want to call it $300. I don't remember exactly, but it's, it's incredibly expensive. It's very expensive. Yeah. But they've made just regular, if you just use a, a Bluetooth mouse or a magic trackpad from a Mac that you have laying around and a whatever, third-party keyboard you want. They've made it as good as it could be with Bluetooth and iPad, you know, and, but the, the thing that I've gone back and forth over the months of 2020 trying, you know, using mechanical keyboards and stuff with my iPad and going back to the magic keyboard. The thing that is so, that truly is the magic part of it is that you never have to pair and unpair it, right? Like when I'm using a magic trackpad, just the standalone trackpad and a keyboard. I might like the keyboard better because it's a clicky mechanical keyboard, but I pick my iPad up and I go off and it's still connected, right? And here's where it's like you want, in theory, you want Bluetooth to have as good a range as possible, but it's like the the better Bluetooth ranges, the more likely it is that I've wandered several rooms apart from my kitchen and I tap on something to type a URL or something, and it, I can't, I don't have an on screen key. What? Why is there? Oh, it still thinks it's connected to the Bluetooth keyboard. Yeah. And I, I, that's how my mind thinks. It's like, you still think you're connected. And it's like, no, I am connected. That's why, that's why there's no on screen keyboard. And I got to like go up to control center and turn on airplane mode, give it a second, turn off airplane mode, and then it all works. It always takes me out of it. Whereas when I'm using the actual magic keyboard accessory, as soon as I take the iPad off the keyboard, the the iPad instantly knows, okay, now I'll give you the on-screen keyboard. And it it never interrupts your flow. It's like a dock. It's like two states. And I think Federighi shows that off right in that initial video where you come, you slap it down, it's docked, it's, it's your keyboard. You pick it up, you walk away, it's undocked, it's no longer your keyboard. It is a terrific experience. It really yeah. is. It is so very strange. It, it is, in fact, three hundred dollars. <laughs> yes, uh, I think that the and the the thirteen inch one is an extra thirty bucks. Right? It's like three twenty nine. Uh, it doesn't seem right. Does that seem right to you that you have to pay more for the bigger one? I guess big means more. I don't know. <laughs> but it's like you get, the, psyche. you get the same number of keys. You know, it, it yeah, they're just cramped <laughs> closer together on the. It does the seem weird. Oh, it's three fifty, so it's uh, two ninety nine for the eleven inch and three hundred and fifty yeah. for the twelve point nine inch. That doesn't seem right to me, but either way, it is a premium price. Uh, I have to say though, if you really want to use your iPad as a laptop, it's worth it. It is yes. It, it and as the year has gone on, I, I I see that as money well spent. And this is for me a person who still, even now that I'm more in love with using the iPad than ever before, easily still the first Apple platform I would ditch from my life if somebody came to me in some kind of 
bizarre, sicko <laughs> hostage situation and said, you have to get rid of one of your Apple devices and never use it again, the iPad would still be the first one I would get rid of. Um, In a bizarre Christopher Nolan movie, if yeah. you were forced to choose, the iPad would go first. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tenet 2. Yeah. Uh, I it's it's really what a successful product. I and and yeah. as the months have gone on, I'm only more keenly aware of how 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 very nice it is. Um, I don't have much more to say about it though. No, I think it was terrific. Really good start to the year. Yeah. Uh, next up would be. Uh, I don't think there was anything else till WWDC. Yeah. And so the you know there's the run up where it was like I forget when they announced it they but they pulled the trigger pretty early and just said, "You know what? We're not going to have we're going to, you know, about as early as they usually ever announced WWDC and they just yeah. said, you know, we're going to do it all virtual this year." Um and people weren't sure because Google just flat out canceled IO. Right, and Facebook was going Facebook like wavered on their developer conference, F8, yeah. yeah, and then they were like, "Ah, forget it. Uh, I don't yeah. know. We're not going to have it." And um, Microsoft did a virtual one, but it was very different than what WWDC ended up being. Yeah, um, WWDC. In hindsight, it, you know, it's really kind of remarkable that go. You know, it, it, that it was only three weeks later than it probably would have been if it had been held yeah. for real. Uh, and yeah. how high the production values were and how popular it was, how well-received. I mean, it was so yeah. well-received that I, I would say there's more people that I observed who said, I hope that this is what they do every year than the other way around. And developers were angry at Apple going into WWDC because of all the things with Hey and with uh, there was I forget the account that got canceled. So there was a lot of developer you know yeah. relations sort of uh, fix up to be doing. But it, it seemed like when WWDC hit, a lot of that got put aside. Yeah, it was a remarkably successful WWDC, even with the uh, complete inversion of it being a real world traditional multi thousand attendee conference in a big yeah. convention center um, to being completely virtual. It was very well received and content wise uh, all sorts of, all sorts of stuff that I think was also very, very well received. It was a very good year for Apple's platforms. And they kept the fun part. Like when the different engineers and um, program managers showed up to do their sessions, they all had different sort of Easter eggs on the desks and in the background and different sort of fun things in it. And perennial friend of the show, Serenity Caldwell, did these daily wrap-ups yep, yep. From, the, from the evangelism oh, team on what so happened good. every day. They were, I, I, they were so good and so tight. Yep. It was like today's, today's news in 60 seconds or 90 seconds or some unbelievably short period of time. And, yeah. Uh, I was like, I know her. She used to be yes. on my show. <laughs> yes. This is really good. And there was like a virtual serenity uh, uh, memoji. Memoji, yeah. Yeah. And it was like, that looks like her. Yep. Um, and they all had that. All the engineers, all the programmers yeah. had their little memoji with the computer yeah. and the stickers and everything. I think that – I think that – I don't know. I honestly don't. I could see this going either way. Like, is this COVID aside? I mean, 2021, I think that is probably going to be virtual again because yeah. I don't see, I, they might as well plan for it. And it, it, 
it's not that it seems like madness to plan on having a real world 5,000 person convention in June, but it just seems so ill. It just seems like unlikely to be yeah. advisable, right? Like, like it, late May rolls around and COVID really is so, you know, if it's really just like, what's the most optimistic, realistic scenario for late May around the world? Imagine that in your mind. There's not much. Hotspots are down. Vaccinations are have have largely helped mitigate this. I still don't think you want to put five thousand people from around the world in a in a convention center together, right? And it's like vaccines aren't a guarantee, right? It's like you know that's not the way they work. And know? that's if enough people take them, which you know we still right. don't know what the supply and the take. I, I think optimistically we've heard maybe right. by the summer things will be better. So maybe the September events yeah. are being thought of either yeah. way. But I can't imagine they're thinking about that for June. Yeah. So I would I would have to guess that WWDC 2021 is almost certainly going to be a, a virtual event like last year's. And will you know? But let's flash forward another year, like. Let you know, and I think it's very realistic to think that by June 2022, COVID is past tense, and we are like, yeah. "Oof, remember that." Is WWDC permanently a virtual event? I I don't know how to predict on that because I could see it both ways. I think there's yeah. aspects of the in-person experience that are irreplaceable from my personal perspective in the media and getting to talk to people. Uh, in person. I mean, I'll still talk to Apple people in person. They'll still have press events. The keynote may well involve, be more like a traditional, in, in a virtual post-COVID world, might be exactly like the iPhone events, where the only people who attend in person are the media, right? Yeah. And it's at the Steve Jobs Theater and, you know, with three or 400 people instead of 5,000 people. Um, so that aspect of it, I'm sure, will still be you know, uh, replicated post COVID. It's the fact that there's so many people in the developer community who I know and it, both at a personal level, but at a professional level where I, I hear things and I learn things, you know, it, it there's certain aspects of real world interaction and trust that don't happen without being real. And I would miss that. I still remember when iOS 7 was announced, me, you, Guy English, Lauren Brichter, and a couple, you know, GPU-savvy friends standing at a bar trying to figure out how they were injecting all the transparency and ga Gaussian blur into the system. And you just can't do that virtually. <laughs> I do remember that, yeah. My guesses I, were pretty bad. But uh, yeah, seeing Lauren and Guy try to figure that out was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and watching Lauren, like, move his thumb up and down just to... Yes. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? What's your gut feeling on the long... You know what? What Apple's thinking about this? I think well, and I say I, I say think, but I also mean hope because you know, someone newly indie, the idea of how you know, I, I still have no idea how to save or spend on any of this travel stuff myself because I don't have a giant media company paying for everything anymore. But I think a hybrid model, just given how good the production value was, like I went back and looked at some previous events, and the stage experience is great, but it doesn't look as visually stunning as what they did this year. And I'm sure we'll get into how they progressed and got better and better at the events over time, but they really started upping the ante on how you could do these sorts of things as stream-only events. Right. And I think for the consumer stuff, it still makes a lot of sense to present that and for developers, because 5,000 isn't, you know, out of the millions of Apple developers, the amount they can reach through a virtual event is just significantly higher. That I wouldn't be surprised if they have a hybrid model 
where people do come gather for things that they really need to, like for brand new products that require hands-on or they want to give you like a tour of the audio facility or eventually maybe an AR facility or something. I think that'll make sense to do in person. But I think as much as possible, if they can project this sort of stuff to the world, it's it just invites everyone in to like a really first-class experience. I feel like with the keynote, or let's say keynotes, plural, because you know the the iPhone event is always a keynote, and the Apple yeah. Watch event this year, which was separate from the iPhone, etc. The keynotes, I think, are different. I mean, they clearly are different. But I don't know that I, even as somebody whose you know job it is to be tuned into them, I wouldn't say that they're better or worse. They're just yeah. very different. They're like plays versus movies or TV shows, right? And I, yeah, and I think Apple, I think Apple really likes the production value playfulness of these virtual ones and the control it gives them. And I'm sure it's a little bit of a breather for them that they're not live, and so nothing can you know. They, yeah, face ID can't go wrong. Right. <laughs> and they can, you know, like you, they go to, you know, if it's a Monday morning keynote, they go to bed Sunday night and they know it's already, you know, somebody's just going to hit the play button and it, yes. and it streams and they've got the streaming stuff down cold, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it, there's, they, they sleep more soundly the night before a keynote than, than they did, did when it's live. But I do think Apple genuinely, truly appreciates the intangible benefit of an enthusiastic live audience. Yeah. And that there's a, not just for the people in the room, which again is limited to 5,000 out of, you know, an intended audience of, you know, I don't know, millions really. Yeah. But that it gives an energy to the presentation, even to the people who are watching from home. You know, and Craig's jokes are just night and day when that audience is there to react to them. <laughs> right. They had to switch to like a, a a romance shot, you know, of him yes. opening up the, the MacBook to, to get it. Or just a the crack marketing team stuff. Right. It just doesn't, it's different. But I feel like the actual sessions for WWDC, which is actually the meat of the conference as a developer conference, yeah. right, were clearly night and day way better this year without an yes. audience without being on stage because it it's just more it, they were meant to be watched remotely on a you know you're watching yeah. in the developer app on your Mac or on your iPad or on your Apple TV or whatever but that's how they were shot as opposed to when they're delivered live and it's for the people in the audience in the room and the slides it's not that they were bad that way, but they're just clearly better this way. And yeah. as the the fact that they're all delivered by the actual engineers who work on these technologies, right? If it's like, yes. you know, what's new in core text, you know, and you're talking about all these great new features for right to left languages and stuff like that, that the person who is delivering the session is the person who's just spent a year or maybe yes. two years or three years working on it and they know it and they're excited about it. And now they're getting to deliver it. And they always, it always amazes me how well they do every year, you know, because that's not their job. Their job 51 yeah. weeks of the year is being the super nerd on whatever it is. They're the super nerd about in Apple's <laughs> platforms. 
And then one week of the year, they're presenting. And I know it takes more than a week. I, I actually, that takes away from how long I know they put into the yeah. sessions, you know, but for a few weeks a year, they're doing this to do one session. It's, it's more comfortable, I think, clearly. However awkward it is for an engineer to suddenly be in a pristine Apple staged room where they held all these yeah. sessions with a camera crew. Um, it's it, probably easier than code review. Well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but I, it, it takes away the stage fright aspect of it, though, right? Like yes. where you don't, you're not in front of an audience of hundreds of people in a black a blackened stage lit um theater lit conference room right yeah everybody i mean i do my live show once a year i mean i i public speak publicly a little bit more frequently than most people and it makes me nervous as hell every yes. single time i mean it's it, it it just takes away one thing that they're not suited at, and it's just a better yeah. format. So, I mean, the sessions, I, I I honestly didn't see one comment from anybody that wasn't along the lines of, oh, my God, the sessions are so much better this year. Just They're just yeah. more comfortable. It's, it's just easier to edit and cut between screenshots and video of the screen, of the technology being, you know, shown off and the speaker – and it was delightful, and it felt like it was. You got more. You got so much more of a sense of the presenters. Did you get any feedback on this? The only thing I didn't hear about and didn't follow up on is the labs, because those I know they tried to do the best they could virtually, but that was such a hallway filled with people, you know, yeah. talking and interacting with the engineers, showing them their apps back and forth. And I'm guessing that all just transpired over WebEx this year. Yeah, I didn't. But it must feel different than being live. I, I didn't really hear much about that, yay or nay. It has yeah, me either. Yeah, I, I, I can't help but think that there's that part of what's missing from that lab experience is it, it can't be replicated over WebEx, right? Yeah, it. You just always. You know, and again, it's not, it sounds shady, you know, that they're like trying to cover their ass. And that's not what I'm alleging, you know, that, that there are things that if you can, if you can grab the ear of somebody who works on core audio for your audio app and show them the bug right there, you might get them to say something that they wouldn't put in writing in a radar, you know, and again, it's not yeah. because what it was is, is something that, would get them in trouble if they put it in writing. It's just, it, it's like I said about just human interaction and trust. Yeah. You know, you just get something and they might say, ah, you know what? I know, are, are you, you know, how are you doing this? Are you doing this with, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. It's like, ah. There's a lack of formality and intermediation right. that just occurs in person. I think, you know, and they might say, ah, I think there might be a bug there. I'm sorry, you know, do you have a radar? Yes, here's my radars. Okay, I'm going to take a note of this. I will look at them. But in the meantime, if you do it this other way, I think you might have a workaround. And you just hear stories that come out of lab interactions like that that I bet are less effective. Is it a reason to hold 5,000 attendee WWDC in San Jose? I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't know either. But you know, it's like someone going up and saying, yeah, I've made your framework cry and here's how. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> All right, let me take a break, uh, breaking after WWDC and thank 
our next sponsor, and it's our good friends at Linode. Oh, man, do I like Linode. Linode is where Daring Fireball is hosted. It is a fantastic web service. I use like a thimbleful of the veritable ocean of technology that Linode has available for much more complicated websites and services than Daring Fireball. But it's so delightful. What a great service. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing truly integrated scale infrastructure, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions that will take your project to the next level. You can simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux virtual machines to develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications and websites faster and easier. Now, you can get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit just for listeners of the talk show. That's no exaggeration. $100 in free credit. When they first offered this, I double-checked it just to make sure I wasn't misreading it because I didn't want to get them in trouble if it was like $10 and somebody typed an extra zero. Uh, But it's true, $100 free credit. Get all the details on how to get it at linode.com slash the talk show. Linode.com slash the talk show. They've got 11 global data centers, 24 7, 365 human support. That 365, the hell, that's coming up by the time you listen to this. These are the days of the year where, you know, 363 calendar support versus 365, you know, Christmas, New Year's, days like this coming up. They're there standing by, ready for you in case you're working on New Year's Day, but you should probably take off. Um, but they're there if you need them. Everything you can do, you can use your $100 in credit on their S3-compatible object storage, which just came out in 2020, on managed Kubernetes, and more. So once again, the URL is linode.com slash thetalkshow. And once you go there, they just click on Create Free Account. There's a big button. That's how you get started. My thanks to Linode. So we buried the lead on this entire WWDC thing, John. Which was? Apple Silicon. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. When do we talk about it? Do we talk about it at WWDC or do we talk about it at the end of the year as the last thing of the year? I mean, it's... Well, they at least announced it. And right. it put. And the best thing about that is we didn't have to put up with rumors about Apple Silicon anymore. Right. It was... Uh, it, it turned out much like I thought, um, which was that performance was going to be really stunning. Like... And I was like, am I misreading? I actually, I don't do this a lot, but I went back and watched the WWDC keynote again leading up to the actual M1 announcement um, to watch Johnny Saruji's part again. Because I was like, when I watched that, it seemed to me like he was saying, I would love to tell you more, but we're building... It, the, and I think I was right. Like what he said was, look, we started with iPhone chips and I guess the iPad, you know, iPhone and iPad. And then he said, we... We took what we knew about those and we shrunk it to make Apple Watch. Yeah. And now we're doing the opposite. We're going bigger to make this for Mac. Whereas as opposed to we're just going to put A13 and A14 chips in Macs. He said a family of SOCs. Right. And and it, like the closest he got to saying what they wanted what they were going to do was to say that we we make these chips to suit the the devices. And it, yeah. you know, the, in the same way that the A series chips would be too big, too hot, too battery, you know, and and overkill for use in a watch, they're not good enough as is for use in the Mac. I mean, and that's not to say they're bad; they're just not meant for it, right? They don't have; they're not meant for high capacity storage, you know. And yeah, no, 
for sure. And I think the key thing, though, I, well, first it was great to see Saruji. I think it's the first time we've seen him right. in an Apple presentation. But the the thing that I thought was so interesting was that it showed that Apple had been building this scalable architecture because a lot of companies make like one-off chips like you know Qualcomm makes a chip for the phones and then they've been rehashing old phone chips for watches and that never took off and Apple's been very good about not becoming like an Intel like a like a merchant silicon provider who has to see all these different companies and make unique unique chips for all these different needs because that's really inefficient. And I didn't want Apple to become an internal silicon merchant that had a bunch of different clients, competing clients within Apple. And instead we get like an A13 that goes into the iPhone 11. And then those, that core architecture goes into the S6 for the Apple watch. And then the A14 goes into the iPhone and the equivalent of an A14X with a bunch of extra Mac IP goes into the Mac. And that whole idea of building an architecture over several years that could scale that dramatically, I think, is a really, really smart investment on Apple's part. Incredibly so. I mean, it's just, and we, now we see it. I mean, it's, we still can't, even here we are a month later and we still can't stop raving about it. But they promised a two-year transition, which I also thought was interesting. It was so similar to what Steve Jobs promised with the PowerPC to Intel. Right. And how much of that is under-promising and over-delivering and yeah. giving themselves leeway? And how much is it really going to be two years? Like, do they really know? I don't know. Well, they did give us an iMac since then that was on Intel. So. Right. Well, we, you're <laughs> skipping ahead to August. Oh, sorry. The least, yeah. the least interesting update of the year. Yeah. <laughs> What else is there to say about the the M1, uh, or at least from WWDC's perspective? I guess the thing that I would say is, and I don't think they did this to purposefully sandbag it. I just think, I, I think that the one thing that that colored the actual hands-on, oh my god, I've, you've got to see one of these M1 Max astounded jaw-dropping reviews was that the de- developer kits didn't really offer that hint, right? The the developer yeah. kits running on the, what were they, A12Zs? A12Z, Just yeah. Just like the, the iPad Pros. Were fine computers. The developer kits are Mac Mini look. They don't call them Mac Minis, I don't believe. But they're yeah. Mac no. Mini lookalike developer kits with an A12Z inside. And extra RAM. And extra and And they're fine. And I don't have one. Did you get one? You didn't get one, did you? No. I didn't get one either because it just I, – I asked. I think I, I talked to Panzerino about this. But, like, it, you know, most people in the press wouldn't even think about it. It's not a product, you know. But I am a developer too, sort of. I don't really have an app that yeah. I would use this for. It would be more – and I, you know, when I asked people at Apple, should I order one – I their answer was very accurate. They're like, nah, don't don't bother because it's not it's not indicative of what you're going. It, yes. it, it's not going to give you a heads up on anything. You're not going to have a leg up on what what this is going to be like. I was like, okay, because that just it's less for me to to deal with, you know. And the last thing, honestly, the way it turned out, the last thing I would have needed in the second half of 2020 is yes, <laughs> more Apple more. hardware to, to yeah. set up, install, and run, and test and observe, but. The fact is that the, those dev kits don't really, they're not astounding. I mean, they're sort of like peers to the Intel iMacs that are Mac minis that we know. And if anything, yeah. there's some bugs and some shortcomings and some things that aren't that great. They're probably worse overall. Like The only thing that was interesting is that they ran the Microsoft stuff under emulation better than Microsoft was running it on, on their, own hard, their own Qualcomm hardware. Uh, you mean like the, with the Surface? 
hardware? The dev kit, yeah. The, the, yeah the, well, Windows X, I think I forget yeah. what they're calling it. Yeah. Windows 10 for ARM on Windows X hardware was running better on emulation. <laughs> it's on the dev kit. It's, it's very, it's just, even the which which dev kits I'm saying aren't even that good compared to the M1, yes. which is really yeah. shows you how big a leg up. But it it really did, and, and it is different from the Intel transition, where the Intel transition they gave out these dev kits that were running in these hollowed out shells of Mac Pros with like a yeah. just a generic uh, Intel PC inside, and they flew. They were like, oh, wow, Mac OS X already, like the OS itself, which had been compiling for x86 all along in a secret lab, flew right from the start. And just just going to these generic Intel developer-level hardware machines, it was like all the developers I know were like, we have work to do. There's lots of assumptions, and the apps need to be improved, blah, blah, blah. But basically, it they were very, very fast. This internal transition is going going to be high performance whereas that wasn't indicative from the developer kits this year and then when the m1s did ship and the performance was holy shit uh everybody was like where did this come from you know and color that with and again i'm skipping ahead to the m1 part of this the show but you know color that with the Everybody wanted to sort of say, okay, we know x86 performance on PCs because that's what everybody's been using, even on the Mac now for 15 years. And we know what ARM performance for PC class notebooks is because Windows has been shipping on ARM for a while and it's kind of cruddy. How good could this be? And it's like, no, no, you're thinking about it wrong. But anyway, we can hold that for later. The other thing to talk about, if we're going to look back at the summer, is what you alluded to. It started a little bit with the Hay fiasco the yeah. week before WWDC, then sort of rolls over to what was the news in July. It was the antitrust hearing in front of the House in Congress, where Tim Cook was there. And to me, it's not that the hearing itself was all that worth revisiting. It's the... That's a moment where you could say, look, the U.S. We know the EU was looking at Apple along with the other big five tech companies. Um, it's it it it's not a Trump thing. It's not a Biden thing. This is there is sort of bipartisan. It's the one of the weird issues in the entire country where there's sort of bipartisan consensus that. It needs to be looked at. You know, there's, you know, there was a weird partisan slant on which aspects of which companies are deserving of scrutiny. But there's general consensus on both parties that, hey, you know, we need to look at this. And with Apple, it's the App Store. Is the the thing that was instructive to me is that we had them gavel it in fairly normally. Uh, the Democrats went after the way that the companies treated their partners and their competitors. The Republicans largely went after this idea of conservative bias, um, which a lot seemed like a lot of stagecraft because at the end they just gaveled it off saying, you know, antitrust breakup. So it, it sounded like they had an agenda that was completely different than the talking points. But the CEOs themselves, 
Mark Zuckerberg was just all up in everybody's face the whole time. Jeff Bezos did the mute button thing and acted like he never understood how Amazon was run. Tim Cook wore clothing like Amy from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where it was just zero contrast. And they actually forgot he was there for about 45 minutes. (laughs) And Sundar Pichai just got nailed left and right by everybody. Yeah, that would be my summary of it, too. And it was – I would – you know, and it's – Tim Cook is – I, I wrote recently, uh, I forget what he was even a reference to on Tearing Fireball, but it, oh no, it was his, uh, his terrific podcast interview with, uh, yes. out, outdoor, outdoors. Yeah. I forget if it's singular or plural, but, but where he seemed more himself and a little bit less guarded. He's a very, he talked like he talks in real life, which was really nice to hear. He, he's, he's very, very cautious in his public, uh, speaking and, yeah. You know, it has served him very well. He's he's been involved. How many how many things can you you know? How many times have you uh, have we ever thought, oh, Tim Cook's really put his foot in his mouth this time? You know, never, really. Well, even like angry Tim Cook when he got upset and said, "Like I don't give a damn about the ROI when it comes to right. accessibility and the environment." It was like fiery Tim Cook, and I was all there for that. The bloody he called it bloody. <laughs> yeah, the bloody the ROI. bloody ROI. Which you know, I, that's like the most revved up I've seen. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't aware that uh, that that was you know that that uh, this mild curse words from England are popular in Alabama. But uh, yes, it makes me <laughs> realize that he almost said. I, my feeling was that he almost said a different word. Yeah, grasped onto bloody and quickly, <laughs> you know, ran through the algorithm, and it was like even in your hot blooded anger, it's like uh, that. That's fine. And used it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't see that very often, but his, you know, and it's funny, you know, in the, the alternate world where Steve Jobs hadn't gotten sick and was he, would he still be the CEO? I mean, there's, you know, we could do a whole show on what, yeah. what would be going on, but in the world where Tim Cook is the one or Steve Jobs is the one testifying at that hearing. Um, I don't think he wants to be there. No, you have so little patience. I think in theory in that world or, or, you know, it, whether you want to say what if Steve Jobs was still alive now, or if you want to say what if this hearing had happened ten years ago, whichever way you want to spin it, I think that Apple would have wanted Tim Cook to be the one testifying yes. either way. But they, I, you know, for the publicity angle, I don't think that would have flown. You know, like it, I think Bezos in particular didn't really want to do it, um, but that they really wanted the CEOs. Yeah. You know. Uh, well, I think though, if if Tim Cook had become CEO and Steve Jobs had become the executive chairman and just stayed in that position for a long right. time, it would have been similar to Google, where Sundar Pichai right. showed up and not Larry and Sergey. Right, I think so too. And you could say, well, what do you want? He's the CEO. He is the you know yeah. you know the, the, he's he's taken over. He you know he is in charge of the company now. So I think that that's possible. I just don't see Steve Jobs as being so on message like you know yeah. he, he couldn't bite his tongue and and you saw it with Bezos a bit like Bezos was the one of the four who and he never said anything that was scandalous but there was the the one like uh, uh the one moment where he was like do I need to explain to you how business works negotiation yes. it was like somebody <laughs> you know the question was something along the lines of well uh, it might have even been with apple maybe you know with the whole issue where apple with amazon prime and yeah. um, getting it on apple tv but it was something with like you know you, 
you guys were holding back on Amazon Prime streaming video and this other company, whether it was Apple or it doesn't even matter, but that they had this other thing. And then when they gave you the thing, you gave them the access to the prime and, and Bezos was just like, yeah, that's, that's negotiation. Like, do I need to explain this yeah. to you that this is, this is how you do business? Like you have something. Yeah, you and Ben covered that really well on dithering when it was happening. You have something that I want and I have something that you want. Yeah. And then we just sort of, you know, nudge each other until we're both equally dissatisfied with the deal. And then we walk <laughs> yes. away and it, it, you know, and he, he wasn't, he, and again, there was no scandal about it. It wasn't like Bezos humiliates, you know, congressperson in in front of the hearing, but you could see his mind. He was thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> he was like, yeah. "I can't believe I'm answering this question." He's like, "I have more disposable income than your country is worth right, right. now. I could buy you, but I don't have the time." Uh, but it's you know, it, it. My point, bringing it up for the year in review, is that we're not done with this yet, right? Like, I don't yeah. know where this goes. I do think. That well, we've seen Facebook, and Facebook has already been charged, and Google, I think, right. three or four times now. <laughs> yeah, at least last, maybe, in the last couple of weeks. Who knows what's happened while we've been recording, Renee? Uh, there might be up to five yeah. antitrust suits. Yeah, uh, and they even got charged with the thirty percent, and not Apple. It's like it's a whole weird world. Yeah, it's uh, you know, but it, Apple's uh, got less to lose. I think that they've got less that's controversial. Um, I don't think I think it's a lot harder to accuse them of having a monopoly to abuse like you really have to kind of bend over backward. And again, there's like the lowercase m monopoly of you just have a very strong business with a dominant position in the industry and the marketplace in yes. which case you say yes, Apple has a dominant position in the mobile smartphone marketplace, especially in the U.S., not so much in Europe, especially in right. the U.S. But and even globally, they they certainly have a monopoly of profit on selling cell phones. Yes, you know, a greater than fifty percent share of profit. But that turns out not to be like a legally defined thing. Like having a, a you know, you if you don't sell 50, over fifty percent of the actual units, that's not a monopoly. Uh, yeah. And it's all, and I mean, the fashion industry should be disassembled if profit is the right. consideration. It's, it, it, but again, or the makeup industry. A lot of this isn't about the letter of the law, but the politics of it. Yeah. You know, and the politics yes. is, you know, it it it's hard to, hard to predict. And the, pol- the thing that concerns me is that the EU has shown like their their willingness to. For example, investigate IE's dominance until Chrome becomes the dominant web browser and there's no rendering engines left. Right. So like the results of their actions, I think, are, are unclear even to them. Well, and it, with the EU, and, and in some ways, I, I, my, my stance is that the EU's heart is in the right place and that they are yes. very consumer-focused, but it doesn't, come, it doesn't necessarily come out of the legislation. I mean, all of these uh, cookie things, Banners that you have to click through on websites all the all the time to comply with what's the law the uh, yeah and the, and the GDPR yeah uh, it, that hasn't really improved the it, it, the way it manifests itself is it's made things worse it's given you all yeah. these stupid things to click through like that's not or it's removed American websites from Europe right. who just can't afford or or, or won't don't have the resources to comply with the regulations right to comply you know. So, you know, there's a definite fear that they'll, with good interests at heart, will mandate things that do not make the experience better for actual users. Um, We shall see. 
But it, yeah. you know, f- and then Facebook's response has been just to throw everybody else they possibly can into the fire in front of them. <laughs> it is, you know, like Google. It, it, you know, Ben and I have talked about this a lot. Like Google is more exposed in more ways and has probably done yeah. more of a classic abuse of, uh, you know, a. a using their dominance in web search to benefit, uh, you know, their clear monopoly in web search to benefit their other businesses is classic illegal bundling. But the real villain here is Facebook. Like everybody sort of agrees. Yeah. I have this analogy that's terrible, but I, I keep trying to make it work. And that is that Apple is a fine dining restaurant where you come in, you pay a premium, you tend to get really good meals that you pay your check and you leave. Google you come in, you get a free lobster dinner, but then they expect you to put out. They just think that the lobster is so good, you'll be willing at the end. Amazon is like the ultimate uh, Uber Eats experience where you just pay them and they deliver anything you want to you. And Facebook will let you come in and graze as much as you want for free, but you have to be naked and be willing to let them probe you. <laughs> and that's the different experiences they're all providing. It's it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out. I I, I you can see Apple and, you know, again, this might be the way the system works, you know, that, that the political pressure comes down and Apple makes changes, you know, like would we have the small developer program at the end of 2020 if it wasn't for the serious federal eyeballing of Apple's control over the app store and the app store economy, yeah, uh, and the new dispute mechanism and several of the other changes they've been making lately. Right, uh, I'm going to say no, or at least we wouldn't have all of them. And even if they were in the works, I mean, it's hard to say. You know, it's hard hard to deny that it certainly looks like there's a cause and effect of there's antitrust regulatory pressure on this, and Apple has made very clear moves in very real ways, like the small developer program. I know that a lot of people looked at it and are like, well, that you know the all these, there's a handful of companies, you know, these big game companies and they make way more than a million dollars and it's no, nothing to do with it. But there are so many developers, like it's not just PR spin. There's an awful lot of developers yeah. who are like, no, this is, this is a huge deal. We, you know, the, the, the difference for us is that we could hire a, an entire new engineer with the money that we'll be yeah. saving between 15 to 30%. And it's also like it's te- the App Store, the original model as conceived by Steve Jobs and the team is 10 years old and it deserves to be reconsidered. But also I think, you know, Apple made this promise to investors that they double services income uh, by 2020. And the App Store is a big part of services revenue and they made that goal. And I think it was very telling they didn't promise to do it again right. because that, that cut off a lot of flexibility they had around the App Store, I think, until... Until that happened, and now they have a lot more. Well, it, at least they, they don't have the expectation around it. These well, and that brings me to my last my last issue on this whole summer of and you know second half of twenty twenty regular antitrust regulatory pressure is the Apple angle on it. The other thing, in addition to the App Store, is the the deal with Google to make Google Search the default yeah. for Safari, which I know isn't quite a pay for play. Thing it's not like okay you pay us X billion and Google search remains the search the default search in Google it's it somehow is uh, it's in like an affiliate fee or a referral right fee. It, it it's accounted for by how many searches actually go through Google from the Safari yeah. field it was a startling amount of I, I did not expect it to be anywhere nearly as high as the amount of traffic they delivered to Google. 
Right. And it's, you know, it, they still haven't released the money yet, right? It's, it's like the deal is still secret there. And there's something yeah. that came out from like, we know, we, we know the number from a legal, like, like the bizarrely, it came out of the Google Oracle lawsuit over yeah. Java. And it was, I don't know how many billion dollars, but it was like back in 2014. Goldman Sachs has estimated it at like 18 million, I think for 2020, yeah. or maybe that's the estimate for upcoming for 2021. But it's reasonable to assume that Goldman's estimate is at least in the ballpark. And it's somewhere on the order of at least 10 billion, probably closer to 20 billion, you know, call it 15 billion, say, say Goldman's yeah. off by a few billion, you know, what's a billion here and a billion there, <laughs> but $15 billion a year is a significant portion of Apple's. And they, th this is where I'm going with this, is Apple puts that under services. Yeah. And it's like the dark matter, the the iceberg, the part of the iceberg under the water for Apple's services revenue is this thing that people don't think of as an Apple service. People think of Apple services as these things with brand names. Um, you know, Apple TV Plus and the new Apple yes. One bundle and... Uh, Apple News and the Apple Arcade and, it, you know, all these new things that they've been coming out with, which are Apple's uh, Fitness Plus and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, yeah, and the biggest moneymaker is the fact that Google is the default search engine in Safari. Yeah, it's pure profit. Right. It's, well, <laughs> pure profit, except that they do, it is, it, it is this weird feather in the Safari team's cap, right? Like, you don't think of Safari and WebKit as being this big moneymaker for Apple, Right, you think of it like like does the Finder team make money for Apple? No, there. It was famously Firefox's almost entire income right. was the same sort of Google search placement right. forever, but or for years. But I think you can directly make the argument that Safari is one of the most profitable software endeavors yeah. on the planet because it keeps people. You know, it it and it's not like it, it, they're not doing anything nefarious. They're not trying to make you search. Google more than you would otherwise, and if anything, they've added more features that when you type in the in the the URL field, that some things get answered without going through yeah. Google. You know, like if you start, they're abstracted away by the Apple knowledge base, right? And you know, things like sports yeah. scores or the weather or something like that don't even go to Google. So, if Apple really wanted to throw as much traffic through this deal as they wanted to, it actually would work differently. But it's very very profitable. But it is very much in the bullseye of the regulators looking at this as something that 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 is actually illegal and if it just came, I'm, I'm skipping ahead but it just came out this week that google also had a blue jet ideal codename blue jet ideal with facebook turns out it wasn't r2 or r3 oh. it was blue jedi and that, where they had a deal with advertising and facebook as well wow oh, huh i thought uh, i thought it was uh four letter I, word jedi uh Jedi. Hmm. Well, I lost that bet. Good thing I didn't put money <laughs> on that. Um, but anyway, long story short, I think that Apple is looking at, I, and, and I'm sure they have to be realistically looking at, we might need to cancel this deal. You know, yeah. like we, we might have to, you know, this, this money might be going away and it's a huge chunk of their services. Um, and I think that's a big reason why they're not making any promises about future services revenue. And, and, and they've yeah. built up their own services, the ones you think of as Apple services, to all be good businesses. And it is doing, you know, their services division would be fine if the Google money 
went away, but it would take a huge hit. Yeah. And people, people, yeah. you know, investors who are looking at it would need to understand, well, this, you know, this has been taken away by regulators. And my understanding is despite, you know, we're making complaints about magic keyboard costs, but my understanding is that Apple's hardware margins are significantly down from what they were years ago. And services is making that look normal because right. of how high services margins are. Well, I, and again, we're, I'm not a financial analyst, but it's like you, you know, as long as you assume that Apple isn't committing perjury or whatever, whatever the, the crime is to, of submitting false information on their quarterly yeah. reports. I guess it, perjury is wrong, but sec- SEC yeah, securities fraud, right? I guess yeah. that would be that would be classified as securities fraud. Their margins are uh, it, it's it they're more more regular than a a, a five thousand dollar watch, you know, like yes. thirty eight point seven percent margin, thirty nine percent, you know, high thirty eight decimals to thirty nine percent every single quarter, quarter after quarter. But that used to be mostly hardware profit, and now there is a significant amount of services revenue, right. and it hasn't gone up, which indicates right. that hardware margins are not right. up at right. all. So if the margins on services are higher than hardware, which they have to be. Like 60%, right. yeah. And the company's margins are exactly the same, that means the margins on hardware have gone down. Uh, and I know yeah, people they, f- they're, find that hard to believe. They're like, but wait, aren't they selling $1,300 cell phones now? And it's like, yeah, but their $1,300 cell phones are actually packing a an enormous amount of tech. And again, they're not selling yeah. them at a loss. They're not breaking even on an iPhone 12 Pro Max, but it, they really are putting more expensive parts. They in. They really are very expensive, yeah. you know, devices. Um, and again, poor, poor Apple. You know, maybe their yes. margins. You know, <laughs> you know, here we are. You know, oh my God, their margins on iPhones might be down to like the low 30s. <laughs> oh, you know, it, it it's it's all good. <laughs> they're not going into yeah. the red. But it's definitely no. something to look at if you know, and, and you're always asking for a bit of luck if you're hoping that investors pay attention to the details. You know, it's yeah. like for example, should Tesla's stock have taken a hit on Apple Car rumors <laughs> this week? No, it should not have. No, no, it did. So it's yeah. very possible that. Something, you know, there could be some kind of like, hey, this uh, agreement between Apple and Google for default search is over. There's no more money changing hands. And Apple services takes like a 15 to $20 billion annual hit. Anybody who's not paying attention might see the news as Apple services is in the tank. And, you know, yeah, there goes, there goes the stock. Yeah. Uh, uh, what else we got? We got uh, the whole second half of the uh, year. I don't know how we're going to do it. Can I make fun of Epic and Fortnite quickly? Yeah, I think we got to before the summer's over. Yeah, so the, this was interesting to me because in the beginning, I was I liked what Epic was doing. Like It seemed really well calculated. They made this uh, Epic drop where they said that they were going to stop paying Google and Apple the 30% that they were demanding, that they were going to put in their own payment processing system uh, you know, in violation of the terms of services. And then Apple and Google removed them from the stores and Epic sued Apple. And I thought, you know, they've really got this plan. They've got everything going. Then they sued Google too, even though Google allows you to sideload. And I was, I started thinking, what are they doing? And then not to fast forward too far ahead, but they got to the point where a judge said, okay, let's put everything into, uh, you know, we'll put all the profits into, uh, you know, a, fu- a special fund. And at the end of the case, we'll figure out who they go to. And that would mean that everyone could keep playing Fortnite on iOS. Everyone would still be happy. And Epic said no. 
And at that point, I'm like, this really wasn't that well planned, was it? Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, and and, and you know, there was a lot of uh, fireworks at the beginning with yeah. the surprise move of Epic that they had a effective. You know, and I, I don't mean this in the malware sense, but it just in the allegorical sense, a Trojan horse built into an app, yeah. a version of the app that had already gotten approved, and they could flip a switch remotely and have the app take take payments. I don't know what they really want. You know, like I'm sure they would just take it if if the legal system said, "Yes, Epic, you get everything you're demanding right now. Apple has to has, you know, 12 months to enable third-party app stores in on on iOS and the Epic App Store game store is legally mandated to be one of the ones that's approved." You know, I'm sure Epic would say, yeah, that's sure. That, oh my God, I can't believe that worked. <laughs> right. That's great. Yeah. But they know that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen like that. Like, what do they really want? I don't know. And, and you're right. I think that the, the judge's offer of let's just go back, run, run, you know, comply with the rules and all of the money from Epic's apps, which is primarily Fortnite. Would yeah. go into escrow, and yeah. we'll you know when the lawsuits are finally settled, you know then we'll figure out what to do with it. The fact that they were like, no, we'll we'll just stay out, um, you know. And I guess some people think that they're that's just them sticking to the principle that that you know that they lose the moral high ground, the principle high ground of we're the ones standing up to Apple on this, um. But I don't know. It doesn't play like it doesn't. It didn't seem like, like that to me when it was fresh. And now that we're at the end of the year and it's sort of settled in as old news, it just feels spiteful, right? Like, does it seem to you? I mean, again, no. It, yeah, it's. It, I think it goes back to what we were talking about with with founders are different than CEOs. And Tim Sweeney seems to be acting like a hyper aggressive founder and not a CEO who would probably have the best interests of his Epic Unreal Engine customers. You know, and of and their shared iOS customers at a much higher priority than him trying to. Like, I got the whole vibe from them. It's like they didn't want to take the like the App Store foot off any developer's neck. They wanted to make enough room to put their foot down as well. And that's a whole different sort of vibe than than uh, I think most people were expecting. See, I don't get that. Like, I I don't feel like they want to be the new. You know, we've got your foot on your throat. I I just feel like if there's the most innocuous explanation I can think of is that like Tim Sweeney and Epic really literally don't see anything problematic with the state of like Windows PCs and the way software is installed and works on it. Like they're very on Windows, they were very interesting because they went after. Steam hard like they like they signed exclusive deals and they would give discounts if you had the if you used the Fortnite engine on their game right. store and yes they charge less of a percentage but they still charge a percentage and they had a bunch of scandals where they were taking uh, stuff that was created by people on the Fortnite platform and just not sharing any revenue from it at all, like different dances and emotes and the things that have Ben explains it so well, like zero marginal cost right. to them, it, pure profit and just keeping all of it. So it seemed like they were, I've said this before, I know there are huge problems on the App Store and a lot of things that need to be fixed, but this was just not 
not the Batman that anybody wanted or needed in this case. No, and you know, and again, it could easily devolve into an hour-long discussion. But my take yeah. of describing iOS as an app console, which was probably <laughs> it somehow inadvertently my biggest controversy of the year. It's exactly what Steve Jobs announced it right. as from the beginning. Well, they don't, it was announced as a console. The, the problem with it, it clearly in hindsight, I know I've talked about it before, but clearly some pe- it, it's just a tr- traditional linguistic problem where some people literally really believe that the word console implies games. That if it's not yeah. for playing games, it's not a console, period. Whereas I'm, that's why I'm calling it an app console. It's like a game yeah. console, but instead of games, it's any kind of app. But it's exactly and that doesn't mean it's right. Right, like, it doesn't mean it should be a console today. It just means that it was designed and right. is run like a console. Right, and it's like there's. I tried to explain it as best I could, and there's some people who are like, "Lol, you think it's like PlayStation? You think iPhones like PlayStation? People put their lives in their iPhone, and it's like, no, no. I get. I see what you're saying." That like your iPhone is like where you live your entire online life, your business and your socialization and all of this is there and it's way more important to you than like your PlayStation. And some of the reason for that is because of the safety that's that's created by having it run as a console and not as an open computing environment. I mean, that cuts both ways right. as well. But it's like, that's the basic idea, you know, and, and having Epic be the one fight it out and have them say, oh yeah, we're totally cool though with Xbox and Nintendo and, and PlayStation. Yeah. Uh, really undercuts the argument, you know, and the judge, you know, uh, has has been very clear about this. Like, yeah, she's brilliant. Yeah, she really she is. She saw through all of BS by everybody. Yeah, and, and I remember the one part where they were, she was like grilling them on uh, that this, why are you holding Android and iOS to this entirely different standard from the game consoles? And they're like, well, you can't play your Xbox on a bus. And she immediately was like, you could play your Nintendo Switch. And it was like, yeah. I'll just sit down now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She's like, are you going to do better on the second part of this hearing? Right. It's like, I don't even know. Like you said the quiet part out loud. Yeah. I, I don't know. I wonder, I don't know what 2021 has in store for the Epic Apple lawsuit, but I just, I don't know. I I, I don't think it's, yeah. I don't think anything's going to come of it, to be honest. If this was a cadre of like, the, the problem is that a lot of the people like Spotify that are teaming up in, and, and now Facebook has has filed in, you know, in support of Epic. These are a cadre of billionaires who who are super angry at the trillionaire. And I would much rather prefer this be uh, a group of independent app developers who know what they want and need litigating this than people who are worried about which of their Ferraris they're driving out on the on the highway paid for by trillion dollar companies again. Right. And, you know, just to tie it back to something from the early part of the show, it's like, think about like with Chrome on Mac OS, like on Mac OS, it is the idiom. It is the culture. It's the, it's the expectation that when you install a web browser in your applications folder, if you want to uninstall it, you just drag it to the trash and then it's all gone and there's no software running. But it turns out that's just the culture and there's no technical requirement. Yeah. And so Chrome takes advantage of this and has like this background software updating agent that stays installed if you just trash Google Chrome.app. On iOS, that can't happen, literally can't happen. You know, I'm not saying that somebody can't happen in a way that somebody couldn't find a security exploit, but any app that could install something that remains even after you delete the app is doing so by literally exploiting a security vulnerability and if apple found out about it they would close the vulnerability and you know 
cancel the developer's developer account. Like you, it's not like you're, you're, you as a developer are asked to be nice. And when your app is deleted, there's nothing left of it. You have no choice. And that is a huge benefit. And to me, the whole Epic thing comes down to, you know, not, not Epic particularly, but Epic's argument over this isn't right that Apple controls the app store this way is completely missing that that's, that's a tremendous benefit. It's got trade-offs, right? Because sometimes you want your rogue amoebas to be able to do yes. stuff. And rogue amoeba can't do rogue amoeba stuff on iOS because apps yes. on iOS can't do that. It's, again, to circle back to you know an example from earlier on this show, rogue amoeba is a perfect example of you know what we lose with the control. You gain some, you lose some. And it, it ultimately is sort of Apple's argument for why some of our computing devices like iPhones and iPads work this way and why the Mac works this other way. Here's our platform where you are installed, allowed to shoot your foot. There's this huge problem. I think a lot of, especially like Twitter and internet culture in general doesn't like multiple truths, but quite often we have these situations where there are multiple truths. Like people deserve choice. And does that mean that you should have the choice of running whatever you want on your iPhone? Or does that mean that consumers should have the choice of a managed environment with the iPhone versus an unmanaged one with Android? And are you taking away consumer choice if you turn the iPhone into a non-managed environment? It's like this whole thing where there's 90% of 90% of the things that Apple does really benefit mainstream consumers, but really irk the nerds. The nerds have all the traditional computers, but they still want the stuff that Apple makes because it's really nice, but then they want to change it and make it more nerd-like, which is a disservice often right. to the 90% of the mainstream customers. And even in this case, like I really am sympathetic to the idea that Apple should allow sideloading because that way, theoretically, if VPNs are banned in China or TikTok is banned in the US, that doesn't stop people from loading them up. But practically, the servers behind the VPNs and behind TikTok would be cut off. And so the app wouldn't really help you, and it would just be an extra vector for getting on the machine. And I don't know what the right answer is. I just know that if you're talking about it in black and white terms, you probably haven't thought about it deeply. Right. Well, or just look at what's come out with Facebook. You know, And if Facebook yeah. could encourage users to sideload Facebook.app, then Facebook.app sideloaded could get away with whatever it can get away with and wouldn't have to. Or their VPN that they were putting out there right. that monitored us. Right, which, which yeah. they've literally, uh, it's not just like speculation, have been shown and like Australia is taking them to, you know, to court over that they used yeah. to spy on their users and because they were spying, using it to spy on all of what they did on their phones, used it as competitive information to say, yeah, yeah, hey, this WhatsApp thing is both A, really popular and growing really fast. We should buy it for $20 billion. We've got the yeah. data from the users of our VPN spyware. <laughs> you know, and if that's, there's... And when Apple blocked it, they used, they missed, they abused the enterprise right. certificate to let people load right. it. Right, yeah. so we know what they would do if they could do side loading because they've showed us. And, you know, yes, they've told us who they are. Right. And it's, you know, and you could say, well, hey, the Mac's okay. And I agree, it wouldn't be the end of the world, but it's like you have to, you have to admit, even if you think that the trade offs would be worth it, that there are trade offs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like you can argue that the App Store is phenomenally successful and therefore should change. We could also argue that maybe those changes would have prevented the App Store from being more successful than the Google Play Store is in terms of yeah. developer revenue, for example. Nothing is in a vacuum. All right. We got to pick up the pace here. I'm going to take a break and uh, thank our third and final sponsor of the show, Squarespace. Oh, boy. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, as have been many episodes of the talk show 
over the last year. It is a longstanding, great sponsor of the show. And if you need to start building a website today, you can go to squarespace.com. And if you know somebody who wants to start building a website and, you know, New Year's resolutions coming around, this is time of year when maybe, you know, that's one of your things. You want a new website. You want to update an old website. Somebody you know wants to do that. Go to squarespace.com. Remember the offer code TALKSHOW, just T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W at checkout. You'll save 10%. Look, Squarespace websites, they look great. They have got so many templates to choose from in so many styles and they're all ready to go and they're all customizable. So if you want to add a store and a podcast or you don't want a store or a podcast, you're building a portfolio site to show off your artwork or something like that. All of it is built in. They're all components that you drag and drop right there in the website itself, dragging around right there. WYSIWYG, intuitive, easy to use, no code. You don't have to know the difference between HTML and JavaScript or JavaScript and CSS. But if you do, if you do know the difference and you do want to look at the actual code, you can do that too. Uh, just scales up to your level of expertise. They've got great award-winning tech support. Here's what you do. You get a free trial, 30 days. Go to squarespace.com slash talk show. That's how you start. Build your website. There's no uh, marker on it that says this is a Squarespace demo site. It's for real, for 30 days, free of charge. When you decide to sign up, keep the website going. Just remember that code TALKSHOW. When you pay, you get 10% off your first purchase. So go to squarespace.com slash TALKSHOW. Remember that code TALKSHOW when you pay, and that's it. My thanks to Squarespace for continuing to support the show. All right, long story. Let's just cut out the iMac from August. Forget it. <laughs> Gone. I mean, nothing happened in the fall anyway, right? Yeah, nothing else. Uh, <laughs> no, but I think we. I, I, I don't think we're doing short. Sh- I mean, you know, this stuff is fresher in memory. We've talked about yes. the the, uh, the the hardware, but the announcements. You know, so let's go through. First one was the iPad Air and the Apple Watch Series Six and Apple Watch. Can I just give you credit for a second here? Because you had a really good explanation for how Apple was staging these events because a lot of people were saying, oh, there's no way they won't do the iPhone. There's no way they won't do the iPhone with the with the Apple Watch. There's no way they'll do more than one event. There's no way they'll do three events. And you explained it early on as sort of Apple arranging their fall TV schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think it really stands up. And I think... The, the one everybody was like, well, they got to be done now. What are they going to do with this Mac? They said there was a Mac. I was like, they'll just do another episode of the show. Yeah. 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 It's sort of like, you know, and like my, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with like 60 minutes, right? Like the news show, you know, they might have three segments of roughly 20 minutes, you know, for the hour long yeah. show. But the segments are clearly produced in a way where like, oh, the segment we're doing on the profile of uh, Jeff Bezos is taking longer than we thought. We'll use this other, you know, they're not meant to go yes. together. And, and I think these events were like that. They're like, okay, we'll do, you know, we'll, we'll do 40 minutes about the iPad and the, the eighth generation. Which didn't even ship until after they announced the iPhone. <laughs> right. Which was weird, you know, but the phones aren't ready, but if it would have been yeah. ready, they would have been, they could have put it in as part of yeah. the show. Um, and, and you know, and it's funny. It it it's a good show, and it has that yeah. flavor. Like it's like, oh, another episode of the Apple event show, and you know, you're cruising around the Apple Park and the spaceship, and you know, it, it, 
it feels like a, a TV show. And it just got better episode. Like they did that really cool shot of zooming in from uh, Jeff's watch, Jeff Williams' watch coming out, yeah. and then they did all those different transitions and the the drone shots. It, it, it felt like the same show, but they kept better, getting better and better at making it. Yeah. The other thing I would say, and who knows, maybe if they keep this up and they, this is how they do shows going forward, we'll look back at the ones from 2020 and see them as crude. You know, I yeah. always think uh, like whenever you buy like the omnibus edition of a comic strip, like Calvin and yeah. Hobbes or the early um, – The, Pe- the Bloom Counties. Yeah, or the Peanut strips, you know. Yeah. And you look at the first – especially Peanuts in particular because the Peanuts ones – evolved over like a decade but there were like yeah. ones from like the 50s like for 10 years where all of the characters look weird you're like man even garfield he's horrific in the first film. yeah garfield early you know it, it in my opinion probably the the best of the best is bill watterson and calvin and Hobbes. he's just yeah the best written it's just the pinnacle of the art form i mean most yeah. people seem to agree and he's also probably the best illustrator He's just amazing. Yes. Like, and when he would really show off and do like one of the space, like the spaceman spiff or the dinosaur (laughs) ones or spaceman spiff versus the dinosaurs, it's like, oh my God, he's like super amazing, talented. The first year of Calvin and Hobbes, they look a little weird. You know, they have to, it it takes a while to get your legs underneath you and figure out who these characters are and what the style is. And, you know, it's like that with most TV shows too. Like the first season of a show often just looks weird in hindsight because they haven't quite figured it out. I don't know. If I look at a video from older than a month, I can't believe how terrible it looked. <laughs> well, I, you know, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like Apple somehow, you know, maybe it's hiring talent. You know, if you throw enough money at it and you're discerning and you hire the right people, they got it. But, um, it, the, the, the that September event again. I don't think we need to spend much time on it. Series no. Series Six Apple Watch not really that different. Adds the blood oxygen sensor. If anything, I almost feel like it was badly timed because blood oxygen levels are a COVID thing, and clearly that that's not why the 2020 Apple Watch has it. But that's how people think. Yes. Right? And, yeah. Same with the hand washing. Yeah. Well, hand washing, they did probably squeeze in for that. Like, I don't yeah. think there would be a hand washing feature if it wasn't for COVID. Do you? No, no, for sure. No. I mean, they I, one interview they said that it wasn't because of that. The other interview they said it was. So I, I think, you know, they, it probably had to have been. No. It just, but it doesn't require a special sensor, right? No. It's not like they have a hand wash sensor. They're just using no. the accelerometer and the microphone and a bunch of other things to create it. Every time I make pasta and I'm sizzling onions and turning the salt thing, it goes starts counting down for my hand shit, my uh, hand wash. I had to turn the feature off. I, f- I found it too 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 patronizing. Too yeah, it's patronizing. Yeah. It's like ah, come on. And it's like like you know. If I go to the, if I come in from outside, yes, I'm going to wash my hands for 20 seconds and it's fine. If I go to the bathroom, I'm going to wash my hands for 20 seconds. There's times though where I wash my hands, I really am just rinsing them. And then it's like, hey, why'd you stop? Like when you're in the kitchen. What was this? A quick rinse? And it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm done tapping my watch to tell you what (laughs) what was going on here. You're not my dad. Right. And before my watch could tell me if it was 20 seconds, I'm pretty sure I was thoroughly washing my hands. yeah, trust me. I was parent. I'm, uh, you know, we're all German. Same. Yes. It, but you know, it's just a, it, it, it's a talk year for the for the Apple Watch. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the SE was interesting in that it wasn't as low cost as the as the Apple Watch 3 was the previous year, but it was less expensive, uh, but it was missing like my favorite feature which is the always on. Yeah. And I but I kind of feel like that's very purposeful. Like we don't know what they're going to do with it, but one thing that I I think is part of when Apple uses the SE name is that it it's meant to last for a few years. Like so yes. the first iPhone SE was sold for years. I believe this one is going to be sold for quite a few years, right? And so that yeah. it's like a four year cycle? At least. You know, or at yeah. least until people stop buying it. You know? How long will people who are averse to technological change? Like my mom. My my mom just got the new iPhone SE a couple of weeks ago because she needed a new iPhone. Her battery was really gone. And she, there was nothing, literally nothing I could do or say to get her to want to try Face ID. Where I haven't seen her all year, I couldn't talk her through it in person. She's like, I just want one, just like my old phone. I was like, you know what? Okay, you're happy. You know, it, it was like meant for. Her. She wants a, a button and she wants to use her thumb, and there it is. And for years to come, now Apple has the iPhone SE two that they can sell to those people. I kind of feel like that's what the Apple Watch SE is going to be like cuz right now with the iPhone or the Apple Watch series 3 as that 199 cheapest watch it sticks out because it doesn't look like the other watches and they have to still do the goofy thing where they're like sure this is a 42 millimeter or a 40 millimeter strap but it also fits the 38 millimeter iPhone or Apple Watch 3 you know it it sticks out you know whereas it, if if it goes as I expect, and next year they stop selling the Series Three, and the SE yeah. becomes the one ninety nine Apple Watch, they all look the same. They all have the the new yes. widths for the lugs, and it all makes a lot more sense. And then maybe the SE stays for another year after that, and it's only one hundred and seventy nine dollars or something like that. Yeah, for sure. But I feel like missing the always on display. Is and I'm sure it is actual cost saving, but yeah, it is a way that it is permanently easily. Here's a reason why you might want to spend an extra hundred dollars, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like missing the modern design on the current iPhone SE. Yeah, it just is this thing that and and you can be shown very clearly right there in the store. Look on this one when you move your watch away, it just goes black. On this one, it stays on all the time. Still tells the time like a watch. Yeah. Uh, iPad Air, eh, yeah, nice. You know, it's it, you know. I, I feel like I'm <laughs> as we rush through the second half of the year, I'm, I'm blowing off a very nice iPad upgrade and very yeah. you know the 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 iPad Pro as we know it is now a lower cost iPad for more people at a lower price and it works with the Magic Key keyboard. We've already said nice yeah. things about. Touch ID instead of Face ID, so again, it's easily differentiated. Right, uh, you know. But what are you going to say about it? It's not. It's not new. You know. It got a a fourteen technically first, but didn't really right. ship with it first. But they did a segment on it, right? It, which was weird. And I still would love to know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if you asked around. I don't know. But like, did they really hold it back just to wait for the iPhone or? Did they just like, well, we'll pre-announce it? Like, I kind of have the feeling, and the my my honest belief is, if they wanted to, they could have released the iPad Air earlier, and didn't. Yeah, I 
I, I, I still go back to your theory where they had all these sort of post-it notes with the different products in, and they just had to arrange them to fit three different events. And they just didn't, they didn't want to announce the iPhones early because they're in the habit of announcing the iPhones and at least some of them ship within, you know, that 10 day window. So they couldn't do the iPhones in September. They, they were going to do the Apple Watch anyway and the iPad Air just fit in there and there's much less pressure, there was much less time sensitivity at least. So I, I think if they could have shipped it earlier, they, they would have. They probably just didn't have everything ramped up because of all the manufacturing. Yeah. Um, Overhead for from COVID. Yeah, they announced the Apple One bundle, even though it was forthcoming, yeah. um, and Fitness Plus included amongst it. In a very what what to me was a strange segment. It was only like it was seriously like like ninety seconds. It was it was yeah. like this big thing that we thought was going to be a major segment of the show if it got announced, and instead it was like, hey, we're coming up with this bundle that you know seems like we should have announced a year ago, but we've got it this time. And it is a good deal, and you know that's it, gone. Yeah, huh. and in the U.S., it doesn't include subscription hardware, which is already a, a thing that they do. Right, which I think was right, or Apple Care, which I think was would, would have been the bigger parts of the deal. Well, and I wonder too it, I, to tie it in with the regulatory scrutiny that they're under, right? Like, there's something. Is that because they don't want to do that? Is that because yeah, they or bundling? They're worried about right is, that they haven't gotten to it yet, or is it because they're just worried that they don't want that that they they would face some kind of regulatory scrutiny over yeah. oh you're taking why does apple music come but not spotify right you're taking your hardware successful hardware platform and using it as a way as a cudgel a competitive cudgel to sell these services you know yeah yeah because surely you know, I mean that that would be the thing is just make it a monthly payment and it includes a new iphone every 2 years yeah you know? That's sort of what everybody wants, but I think you're right. Yeah, I was surprised though that Fitness Plus was. I thought it was going to be good just because the production value looks so high, and it turned out to be better than I thought it would be. Everybody, that seems to be the consensus on it, right? I mean, the yeah. consensus is that it is. It you know, it, it, people oddly to me oddly complain that it requires an Apple Watch. Um, you can do it without it. Right. It just—I I think it loses everything special about it if you don't have the Apple Watch. Right, but everybody, you know, I don't know. It's—it's it's like people are still seem to be surprised that Apple is good at the content thing, right? It's like, yes. <laughs> and again, it's like first impressions matter so much, and it's like Carpool Karaoke was like their first original content, and it, you yeah, know, it was Carpool Karaoke and that app show. Yeah, I forget what the app right. show was the called. App, Planet of Apps. Planet of the Apps, right? And. It turns out those two shows are in no way indicative of what Apple original content for Apple TV Plus would yeah. be like, but they set expectations so low, and I still feel like <laughs> they haven't recovered. You know that yeah. that people still haven't gotten it through their heads that no, this is seriously like you can argue that it still is not as good as HBO, but it's like in the ballpark, right? Like Ted Lasso well, is Ted Lasso. Yeah. Could be one of the best shows of the year. Yeah, could easily win best show of the year. It, you know, really, really might. And you know, the, the morning show deservedly yeah. of, of great acclaim and won a bunch of Emmys. Um, you know, that, that it's, it's not all <laughs> planet of the apps. It really is. No. And I feel like fitness plus, in a way, I know that this is a little bit diminishing because I know that they've got this interactive stuff where you see your live metrics from your watch on yes. screen as you're doing it. But it is and the burn bar. <laughs> it is sort of 
it's like a modern day version of okay, we have the Apple TV Plus channel where we show mostly fictional dramas like Ted Lasso and yeah. uh, the morning show and stuff like that. And now we have a fitness channel, right? It's, it's like, you know, Fox has the regular Fox and then they have Fox sports, right? And yeah. that's where they show nothing but college basketball and hockey and, and sports news and stuff like that. Well, now it's sort of like fitness plus is the new second channel of Apple original content. And it's just exclusively dedicated to these fitness shows. Yeah. But that it's it does sort of push forward that thing that Tim Cook said at the beginning of the year that was sort of I don't know if it was controversial at the time, but when he was doing that interview uh, with Kramer and said that he thinks that looking back, Apple will be best known for being uh, a health provider. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very serious, you know, uh, endeavor, you know, and yeah. and I really do think they take it serious. I mean, that's not how I think of Apple, but I believe Tim Cook. Right, like I, I believe that he thinks that way. You know, it, it is unusual. I don't know. It, it, again, I don't, I don't say it's a bad idea, but I, I'm not as surprised as some people seem to be that Fitness Plus is as well regarded as it is. Yeah, no, I really, I'm really enjoying it. And again, I thought I would, and I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would. Uh, and very much personality based, right? Like it's, yeah. you know, it is. Not like reality TV insofar as that most shows that people consider reality TV are about like gossipy type stuff. And it's the opposite where it's all yeah. sort of G-rated. But it is like reality TV where it's very personality driven, you know, and that these people are yeah. like they're, they, they're the same sort of personalities uh, and, you know, of diverse backgrounds, but all young and attractive, you know, in a uh, well, they have like from they have a sixty year old. One of them is a sixty year old trainer, oh, and they're all that. but they're all super engaging. Yeah. Well, that's sort, of, but that's also sort of like reality TV, right? Where there's always like uh, some old, yes. there's like an old guy on Survivor, right? Yes, you know, because it's a you know, it's it, it is, and and they are they you know, it, it, it's all what Apple says on the tin. You know, they want everybody yeah. to feel welcome, and if you are like a serious spin cyclist who's been doing it for years and you're up, you know, you're, you, you spin at a truly expert level. There are classes for you. And if you've never gotten on a spin bike in your life, this is a great way to get started and you should feel just as welcome. And again, I, I feel like that's been Apple's approach to, you know, the, what business does Apple have doing this aspect of it is to me, that's sort of been Apple's approach to computers, right? Like yeah. that we, we can, we, we truly believe we can make a computer that is good for somebody who doesn't know anything about computers. And also that the same machine could be a great computer for a programmer. Yeah. Yeah, for they can make a computer that for ev- for everyone who has always felt alienated and inaccessible right. to normal computers. Right, it's you know or intimidated. It, it's yeah. the computer for the rest of us was the slogan for the Mac, and it's like the fitness class for the rest of us. But it also includes and they have like the sign language little bits in right, there, and right. they do every you know, and it's just really and they they have the people doing crossovers with the other trainers, so you always see people you know in the. It's really well thought out. Yeah. Uh, next event, October thirteenth, the high speed event, HomePod Mini. Yeah. All of the iPhones and MagSafe. As I, the word 5G more than I've ever heard it in my life before or since. 5G, 5G, 5G. 5G. Yeah. And, and believe it or not, the HomePod Mini doesn't even support 5G. 
No, we, there's no way we can't, we can't just go into detail on this. What, what are your high level takeaways now that we're months out from the iPhone 12 event? What's your takeaway on the iPhone 12 lineup? Uh, I, I think it's really good. I think it showed Apple expanding. Like if you think they originally had one iPhone and now they're up to four iPhones, five, if you include the iPhone SE, I think the iPhone mini was an interesting experiment because the original SE was both smaller and less expensive. And now we have a separate iPhone that's less expensive and a separate iPhone that's smaller. And that sort of lets Apple start testing segmentation because whenever any market gets big, like the car market, you have to start segmenting or you just stall growth. So I think, and again, now the, the I know some people People hate this, but the Max model now has more features than the regular Pro. Right. But that again is part of that segmentation. So I think it's I think it's a very successful product. Um, I think the five G thing is still not it's not ready for prime time, but they had to do it. And I think it was good they kept the pricing on the Pros the same, even if because of OLED and five G and all of that, the pricing on the regular ones went up. And I hope that's sort of a temporary thing. I like the. I still haven't ordered a, a new iPhone. I'm, I'm about to. I'm just waiting now for Christmas to be over because it's for me, so I don't need it for Christmas. So I'll just wait and yeah. won't add to the holiday shipping. But I'm I'm going to get the uh, the regular iPhone 12, not not the mini. Oh, interesting. I, for me, it was like I I the first. I thought you'd go mini. It was very close. That's what it came down to for me. And it was the clo- it was the hardest decision. Most years, it's like, oh, I do see the appeal of this, but I, I want this. You know, like last year, it was easy. I wanted the regular 11 Pro. Max is too big. Yeah. And last year, the Max didn't even have any extra features. It was just big. Every designer I know went mini. I think it, it really appeals to designer culture. Yeah. it's This year was the toughest because all four were appealing, right? Like the... The one that would fit with the phone I bought every single year previously would be the 11 Pro, that, you know, the roughly yeah. regular size with the best possible camera. And I, honestly, it's just like, I just don't like the feel of it as much. I don't think it's bad. I just love yeah. the feel of the regular 12 better. And I'm kind of over the 2X camera. Not that I, you know, if, if they just would add that camera to the regular aluminum 12, I'd like it better. But I'm willing to live without it, and I kind of feel like, look, for at least the next few months, I'm not going anywhere anyway. So if I do get a new phone, I don't really need the best possible camera. So the Max, but it was the most tempting, the biggest phone has ever been because the camera's better yeah. than the big one ever has been. But I just can't. It's not for me, you know. I so I had the same. I had the opposite problem where I was torn between the iPhone 12 Pro because I love I love the telephoto and the iPhone 12 Pro Max, which is just too big. And I ended up going with the Max because I really wanted that camera. And the 65 millimeter was interesting. I really wanted um, 4K 60 Dolby Vision because I use it for B-roll for my videos. And the ability to do 60 frames per second means I can use it for slow-mo, which is really important for me. And then when when I saw uh, Sebastian DeWitt's article on what that sensor is really capable of once you get some of the computational stuff that's auto-correcting everything out of the way, and especially with ProRAW, I was just sold, and I said, I'm going to live with this tiny tablet just to have that camera. So that's what you went? You went Pro Max? Yeah, I ordered the Pro Max, yeah. yeah. See, I, I see the appeal of it, and it's the most appealing the biggest phone has ever been to me, but I still, uh, I don't want it. Uh, I mean, it's just not yeah. for me. Um, but it, all four were appealing to me, and it's like, all right, yeah. I cut off all the pros. All right, I'm even going to give just move away from the 2X lens, even though I do love it, uh, and I, I will miss it. Then it just came down to the regular 12 and the 12 mini, and it was close. 
And, you know, it's a, my eyes as a 48 year old, uh, yeah. it's close, but it's like my eyes have gotten better in the last few years, just long story short, but it's actually better than it was just a few years ago. And I do see it fine, but it's not the greatest. And to me, the thing that really pushes it over the edge is like when I'm wearing glasses or I don't have my glasses on and I'm holding it up and it's like when I'm using it as a camera, it's like I have progressive. So if I'm holding it down to read, I can see it better. But if I'm holding it up to take a picture, then I don't see it as well. And being a little bigger makes it better. And then typing, it's not, it really does, you know, guess what? It has, it's nicer to type on a slightly bigger on-screen keyboard. Yeah. But it was the closest. It was so close. And I feel like... I was like the Max or the Mini. Yeah. That was the thing with me. Is I, the, I discounted the ones in the middle and the Mini was just so appealing. And I think for people who the iPhone isn't a primary computer, the Mini is so much win. And the Max, if, you, if it is your primary computer, is so much win at the same time. Yeah. But it was close. But the winner for me this year is the regular iPhone 12. It's like the combination yeah. of weight. And the big difference to me with the 12 versus the 12 Pro is the weight in addition to feel. Like, I just love the yeah. feel better, but part of the feel is the weight. And it's like, ah, oh. but man. It, it, that was so interesting to me because every year I always have people tell me Apple should just double the battery. And I'm like, you know how heavy that is? Like, it's got a <laughs> bunch of other problems. Like, it's not RF transparent. It increases the heat, but it's heavy. And they're like, oh, I can just hold up a phone. And then all these people <laughs> look at the Pro like, that's too heavy. <laughs> like, yes. It turns out that a light phone is part of usability because you can play games and watch videos and read books longer. Uh MagSafe. What's your takeaway on MagSafe now, a couple months in? I'm optimistic and disappointed at the same time. Like I think the I think the idea is great, and I think especially if Apple's going to go portless in the future, MagSafe is a really good way to sort of ease us into that thing. But I'm still super salty about the loss of the uh, charger in the box. But especially that both chargers, the MagSafe and the MagSafe Duo, do not come with the AC adapter. Yeah. The, in the box to me is just ridiculous. Well, and the, the duo in particular because it's one hundred and thirty dollars. It's a one hundred and thirty dollars yes. charging mat that doesn't come with an AC adapter. It's ridiculous. Well, it was clearly made for a year when they thought travel was going to be a huge right. thing, and for people who had a huge Apple affinity, were not price conscious and just wanted something really convenient to fold up and carry with them when traveling. But we did not get that year. But even then, it should come with the AC adapter if it's one hundred and thirty dollars. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Absolutely, it's, it's absolutely it's probably my biggest thumbs down of the year for all of Apple products is the Duo charger. Because yeah. I don't think it's that great. I feel like it feels chintzy. If it costs 50 bucks, then I'd say, oh, sure, go buy one and put it in your travel bag. But at $130... And it's cumbersome. It, yeah, it's very cumbersome. Like They made the watch side way more cumbersome than any other watch charger because they put a big magnet, magnet around it yeah. that doesn't do anything except keep it closed when you cinch yep. it up. And it doesn't come with the AC adapter. Have I mentioned that? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. And the wallet, I'm sort of mixed feelings on. Peter McKinnon turned me around a little bit on it because he went, he's a leather maker and he went through how well made it is and you know how it doesn't always fall off right. if you treat it like that sort of leather wallet. But I'm, I'm still someone who needs more than two cards. So I think it's got, it's, it, again, it's one of these products that Apple has put out that appeals to a very small part of a very highly invested Apple ecosystem owner. Yeah. And I kind of feel like they're show, you know, it's like here's their very opinionated take on a wallet where you only have yeah. two or three cards and you don't need your Apple card, of course, because your Apple card can just live on your phone. So there's, you know, that's why you can get away with, it's like, ah, but I need a gym card and a driver's license. And yeah, a, my license, yeah, yeah my medical and card. It's like you're already over the limit. But it's like, well, here's how, you know, at least other companies can take it apart and figure out how to make an adapter yeah. that fits on it. Um, 
Yeah, and some of the Belkin stuff is good. Like that's why I'm I'm, in, I'm optimistic about it. Some of the stuff that we see coming out is really good. I think iOS 14 is has been a terrific update, and yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, you know. Again, we could do a whole hour on what's great about iOS 14. To me, the big win is the widgets, and I feel like Apple really nailed it. I feel like the way that people are happy to futz around and make widgets and that Widget Smith is a smash hit and that it yeah. became a TikTok thing and people just love customizing their home screen and the way that shortcuts can double as you could just make a shortcut that opens an app and therefore you can put any app icon you want on it. And it's a quick little easily understood hack to to make custom icons for any app you want. And then you can hide the actual app in your app library and have this super minimalist thing. I haven't really gone. I, I, that's not for me anymore. But that's no, me but that's the sort of thing I love doing with my Mac in the early '90s. I loved making yes. custom icons and customizing all of that. And so, like, it it's exactly the same mindset of doing custom apps icons and customizing my desktop and. It, it, I remember when when you couldn't you, you only had a desktop pattern on Mac on uh, System Seven, and you didn't you yeah. couldn't have a whole picture on the background, but there were third party utilities that would let you do it, and of course I did because it looked so much cooler. And it's like I totally get that mindset, and I think it is so awesome that iOS fourteen has given that level of enthusiasm to younger people today who. You know that the, the phone is their main computer, and it's it is, and they're improving it. Like the latest beta stops you having to do the whole round trip through short through right. uh, shortcuts each time. Right, right, and it's not just for the app launching. They've actually that's the other thing. If I want to go the other way and put on my old man hat, uh, <laughs> uh, shortcuts has taken a huge step up at being a yeah. sort of serious automation tool. Like in a way that I was like very skeptical it would ever keep getting better but it is and it's gotten a lot faster yeah. there are a lot of th- stupid things that's like why is this slow to just make a list of these 10 things and show a thing and it's like why does it take forever and it's like now it runs as fast as you think it can and why does this bounce me over to the shortcuts app if it's just going to show a dialogue now it doesn't it just runs yes. right there yeah and you're you can make little programs you can be yeah and and to me that ability to be like your own designer who can make the phone look exactly the way you want as a it gets you into user interface design and the way that shortcuts can let you be a programmer and make a little program that does some stupid thing just for you that makes you happy is a great way to get you into programming and so to me Two best things about iOS 14 are the shortcuts improvements and the uh, the widgets, which let people. It's customize so good. Them. I don't know if I'm talking to Federico Vitici, Rosemary Orchard, or Matthew Castanelli anymore, or their shortcuts. <laughs> they could have set up a shortcut just to handle our conversation. It, and it makes me so happy that Apple has taken a keen interest in this and that they're listening. You know, they they see people's enthusiasm for it and jumped on it, like you said, to to make yes. it so that the you know, everybody was afraid when everybody customized these shortcuts yeah. that Apple was going to take it away, you know, yeah, to snatch it. Right. And be like, oh, we didn't think that you would use these shortcuts to launch an app just to make custom icons for Instagram or whatever. So we're going to disable that. And instead, they made it better and fixed everybody's complaint that it boomeranged you through the shortcuts app. And it's like, ah, they're encouraging this level of tinkering. I think that's great. 
And my thing is, as much as Siri's uh, assistant is still a frustratingly inconsistent experience, the on-device intelligence has been great. Like, I just replaced most of my home screen with those Siri-selected uh, app widgets, and almost every time that app I want is always right there waiting for me, and I never have to move home pages anymore. Uh, the one for me, and it's on-device, it clearly, because Apple's been very clear that, like, the photos library management stuff happens on device and on the Mac, you know, yeah. going back to the earlier in the show and activity monitor, you can see photos library running in the background. Sometimes I don't have a lot of widgets that I use. I have a weather widget from Weatherline, which is a great third party app. And, and yeah. they're at their widgets, by the way, have really gotten, they started out great, but now they're even better where they have like in that same little tiny widget, they have your like next three hours and then the next three days side by side. Oh, Weatherline's a great yeah, weather. It's app. so good. The built-in photos widget, and I mean this sincerely, I, and I don't think I'm a sappy person who's prone to purple pros. It, it's life-changing. It, I just have this little wide two-by-four widget at the top of my second home screen with the built-in photos widget. And it just every day shows me like an old photo from 10 to 15 years ago. And they're the most amazing pics you could imagine. And it's like, it's just a... So mine is a mine is a mixed blessing because I get the exact same thing. Like I'll get pictures of my godkids that just melt my heart. And then I'll get a picture from one of the events that you and I were at <laughs> that we can't go to this year. And I feel like it's trolling me. It's it's really been great for me seeing family and and, and it just, it the machine learning on it is clearly driven because like I'll go open it up. And the ones that they pick to show in the widget are invariably the better pictures, you know? Yes. Um, and I just share them, like, right away. I never used to share photos like that, but it'll show me a photo from three years ago, and I immediately message send, and people are like, oh, oh so cute. And when, when it shows me ones from the longest ago that are in my library, where my son is now, he's about to turn 17, believe it or not. Wow. <laughs> I was shooting 35-millimeter film until he was, yeah. I forget how old, but, like, the first two to three years of his life, most of my photos of him as a baby were shot with a 35 millimeter film camera and I scanned the negatives. And I'm probably, it's probably a stupid thing, but I just kept them all. So if I shot 36 yeah. images and, you know, maybe, you know, 18 of them were worth keeping, I just kept the other 18, even if they were like the back of somebody's head. Cause it's like, to me, it's like, well, I paid to get the film developed. I'm going to keep it. Whereas if it was a digital photo, I'd be like, up, delete, delete, delete. Uh, yeah. it never, the photos widget never shows me those images. And it's not just which ones I've like heart hearted in the photos app. Um, it, it just has the machine learning to know that, oh, that's a, that's a bad picture. Yeah, that whole mich- that whole on-device intelligence group just killed it this year. Yeah. They did such good work, and it's per- it, it goes through the entire system. I've talked to a few people who've said the same thing about the photos widget, and it's like, if it, I didn't expect, I expected it to be something that I would delete. I was like, I don't know why they're showing yeah, me this same. by default. If you did delete it and didn't give it a chance, that would be like my tip of the week would be put the photos widget back on like your second home screen and give it a chance and just like spend a week or two and just look at the photos. It surfaces for you it it's it's really amazing um yeah i i actually graduated it to my first home screen and i it i have it in the stack and it, every once in a while it just comes up and every time it's fantastic all right we're we're propping up on the legal limit for a podcast length um okay so we're gonna have to cut one more thing <laughs> one more thing i was there was there anything else that apple released this year i can't remember it at this point 
uh, just the HomePod Mini, but right. I think it's a HomePod Mini yeah. at this point. <laughs> now, the M1 Max, we've talked about it the most recently. I don't feel bad cutting it short. It's, to me, yeah. the the most amazing thing that Apple's done in years, hardware-wise. Yes. It is a home... And not just Apple. I'd say it's like one of the best things in processors in the last decade. Right. It really is. It's it's like a, a reaffirmation in the belief that computers can keep getting better. <laughs> Right, yeah. it used to be yeah. axiomatic, and then it's like it stopped happening, and we just sort of got beaten into submission. And it's like, ah, uh, yeah, I guess computers don't really get better, and and when they do, get- well, it was like the core. Like when Intel came out with Core, it was a revolution right. for what. Like they were in the tank, it was a revolution, and it just changed everything. I feel like M1 just changes everything. Not just that their high performance, the high performance is almost like incidental to the design philosophy that resulted in M1, but just using a Mac. Everything is as instantaneous as using an iPad, and the quality of life is, to me, even as impressive as the battery life that we're getting. Right, because you know you're doing so much more, right? And it's like that. It's unlike the iPad, where you know apps aren't getting frozen in the background and or jettisoned every three minutes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and that you are actually getting virtual memory and it's swapping memory to the SSD and you can't even tell yeah. because it's like the performance of getting it back off the SSD is so fast that it's faster than the RAM on computers that we're used to. It's like, it's just really amazing. It's, it's, um, yeah. I don't know. And it, it makes, it makes you happy. Like it makes me smile using the Mac. And I, I have not seen, I have not seen a, Beach ball. It's like if someone had made a trailer for the movie and they they would say like, imagine, imagine a world without beach balls. It would be beautiful. That I've totally bought into that. I've not found a way to beach ball. I it did yet. once. I forget what I did, and I was like, I should write this down, <laughs> and I can't remember. It's probably an electron app. Um, well, and it's you know, in terms of ending this show and ending our look back at Apple's 2020. Well, I, well, they they did release the HomePod, or not the HomePod, the AirPods the Max. The AirPods Max. Ah, yeah. forget them. You know, <laughs> we don't have time for that. Uh, no. I like them. They're, they're AirPods Pro for your for your over year. Yeah, but do I really? Uh, it's just, the case is funny, but that's a whole other show. The case is actually, it, it, it really is baffling. It, it, the, yeah. the more I think about it and now that they've sort of settled in and when you really look at the case and you can see how it's just sort of a origami project, you know, that it's yes. somebody just cut off a piece of this cover from an iPad case. It's like, if we just took this rubber and cut it like this, you could fold it. And it's like, if it's like chaps, it's like putting chaps on an, like there's holes in the bum area. Right. Like it's just so strange. But if, if it was like a college design student's thesis project like here's how you could make a a headphone pouch out of a single piece of leather or rubber and you would save material because it's all one piece and you'd only have to attach it here and here you it would be like a plus this is an a plus student project this is genius but but the cutout doesn't line up with the lightning port which is something that i would just drag samsung for right. i did for years so i figured it out it does line up with the headphone port if you tuck the steel arms all the way up into the headband oh okay well but who does who wants to do that if if no if, i don't if your comfortable size for the headphone is with the stems an inch down aren't you going to leave them there like that it's almost worse. Like I know people are dunking on them because the the lightning port doesn't line up with the notch. Can you believe we're going to go longer on the iPad, the AirPods <laughs> pouch than the M1 Max? But 
here we are. No, but I know everybody's dunking on them rightfully because the lightning port doesn't line up with the notch for the lightning port. But it does if you tuck the bars in. But that, the, that's worse. But the bars being sort of stiff and resistant and holding their position is literally one of the top selling points they mention yes. about the device. So they're like, one of the great things about this device is that these stems don't have notches and have this premium feel and they hold their place. And then once you have it sized in place and it'll hold its position, the lightning port will never line up with the with the notch again. It would have been more Apple to me if there was no case. Like that would have made more Apple sense. And people would have dragged them for that as well. But right. I would have at least said, well, that's Apple. Right. It's, it, it would have. It's Nothing is better than something bad if, from the Apple yes. mindset. It's better to have no touch at all on you, – you knew I was going to go here. Better to have no yes. touch at all <laughs> on the MacBooks than to have bad touch. Right. It's, it's, yes, that's the Apple mindset. So I actually agree with you. I think it would be better. And I, I honestly believe, I really do wonder if the number has to be greater than zero. At least one person out there is going to throw away the pouch thinking it was the packaging. Yes. Yes. I guarantee you. I, it is so close to David Pogue's wife is going to throw it away. It is so close to being really premium packaging that you throw away not a really crappy pouch yeah that somebody is going to mistake it for it it's so bizarre 100 yep. percent. uh all right there we go year in review wrapped up under the legal three-hour right. limit uh renee everybody I, I enjoyed being on your show a couple times this year but the most recent one oh, thank you i i swear to god not joking i'm gonna put it in the show notes we had such a great time talking about touchscreens and uh whether or not they should or will ever come to the Mac. I will put a link to the to the show. Your whole show, though, you, is over there on the YouTube, youtube.com slash Renee Ritchie. Very easy yep. to remember. Thank you for making it just your name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anything else you want to promote? What else you want to promote? No, that's it. And I, I did start a new podcast with Georgia Dow okay. called Apple Talk, where she talks about the psychology behind all the technology. And I just try to shut up and learn all I can. And everybody, the best way to find that, I'm sure, is to go to your favorite podcast app and just search for Apple Talk. Yep. Or YouTube.com slash Apple Talk show, because uh, Apple Talk was taken. But then you can, wait, wait, YouTube.com slash Apple Talk show, all one oh, word. Oh, Apple Talk show. Oh, now you're stepping on my toes here. I didn't mean to. I was trying to get Apple Talk, and YouTube made it so difficult. And I'm I'm still trying to pull some strings and see if I can get it short. You know, my uh, the talk show Twitter account. Uh, it's it's all it's it's actually died down because I feel like everybody who makes the mistake has maybe learned. But the the mistake people make is I get I get people talking to the uh, the talk TV show, which is like yeah. a, a morning gossip TV show. Uh, and it's definitely a different audience. <laughs> Apple Talk was a Serenity Caldwell idea because she's brilliant at naming and she was kind enough to let us use it. Yeah, well, it's, it's, people can check it out. I will thank our three sponsors today. Uh, Things from Cultured Code, the great task manager for Mac and iOS. Uh, Linode, which is a great web hosting service that I use for Daring Fireball. And of course, Squarespace, where you can host... And build a website with stuff like podcast, podcasting and store, online store and everything else you want to do at Squarespace. So my thanks for that. Renee, have a good, uh, 
have a good holiday season. And I you too. almost can guarantee, I feel like we can't do worse. You're going to have, uh, I'm going to wish you a better 2021 than you had a 2020. Oh, thank you. Likewise. <laughs> and happy holidays to you and yours. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks.